Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is side A of a Paired Head Mixtape, where we curate a collection of personal favorites honoring the legacy of Jimmy Buffett. And um, as I'm sure all of you know, this past weekend, uh, we lost a legend, one of the honorary uncles that helped Alan and I, helped raise Alan and I uh, with their lyrical wisdom and led us on countless musical journeys over the years. You know, I, I never really thought, Alan, about who would be the first of the three to go. And of course, if you're a new listener, our spiritual uncles um, include Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, and, and Jimmy Buffett. Right. And, um, you know, all three of them were roughly the same age as our fathers. And so we called them our uncles because of all the... <laughs> uh, we hung on every word and, and, and every note yeah. of those artists. Yes, we did. There were more, many more, but those were the three that we always seemed to, to come back to. And uh, I was just not at all prepared for the headline Saturday morning. Yeah. Well, you know, Buffett had been sick. I mean, if if, if you're a parent head, I, Gail and I, we haven't missed a, a summer tour. Um, oh, gosh. Probably, probably in... 10 years, but we kept going to Riverbend because he wasn't playing Blossom, you know, regularly. And um, this summer we were ready to, to get our tickets and there was just no, you know, no mention of, of, you know, any tour dates. So I started looking into it. He he was sick. He uh, did not reveal for the longest time what actually he, he never revealed what it was that was, you know, causing his problems, but he was in and out of the hospital, kept promising on his social media accounts that the tour would, you know, the tour would be back next summer, that, you know, he was recovering, he was spending time with family, he was, he was good. So I thought whatever was wrong, um, that it, it had resolved itself. And then, yes, Saturday morning, I just, I did a double take. Um, I, I, just couldn't believe what I was reading. Well, know? I was hoping it was it was a prank. Once in a while, people will post on Facebook something that yeah. turns out to be not true. Uh, unfortunately, I, I knew it wasn't because it was from one of my credible news sites. Um, right. Yeah, yeah I, I first saw it from a, a Facebook friend. I don't have a lot of them right now, but that's another story right now. That's entirely different story. <laughs> it's a hacker. It's not that he became suddenly unpopular. Yeah, overnight. no, and my original account got hacked uh, about two weeks ago, and I'm struggling to, to reboot on on Facebook, but uh, nonetheless, the the friend had posted, and I thought, where did this come from? And I typed it in because I didn't believe what I was seeing. And sure enough, you know, every news site, you know, was was covering the the untimely death. It was cancer, skin cancer. They got him. Um, 
I don't know. I suppose that's apropos in some way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the sun. Although, you know, it, obviously in his later years, um, I'm sure he settled down quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, but, you know, he was the, he was the real deal, um, you know. And we're going to talk about it. And that's kind of the point here, folks. Um, we do an artist spotlight every season, and we planned on um, doing something different um, this year. But uh, we decided that we would switch gears. So if you were expecting the covers part two episode, uh, that's going to have to wait either until next month or we haven't really talked about how we're going to rework everything. But right. we decided we would uh, we would. Uh, I mean, this was this was obviously warranted, and we wanted to pay our respects. And you know, I think our criteria was similar. We discussed briefly. Um, obviously, we didn't have a ton of time to prepare for this, but um, for me, at least, the twelve songs that I chose, um, you know, I could have chosen the twelve songs that best represented his career. Uh, I could have chosen, you know, the 12 most commercial tracks that, that, that people would know. You know, the songs you know by heart, plus, sure. you know, the big eight. They talk about the big eight. Yeah. Um, but instead, you know, I went with the 12 songs that were most important to me over the past 30 years. And so, you know, we thought we could have an episode where we just talk about what Buffett meant to us. But why not do a spotlight and you know intertwine those thoughts with the music that we choose? Absolutely. Yeah, I... I I don't know. I was really conflicted. I didn't know how to frame the the twelve cuts that I would choose. You you of course suggested that we go very personal, and that made it a little bit easier. Except my my short list was not short at all because his music. Oh yeah, mine. I think you know, I still, it was my short list. I thought I had about fifteen songs, and it was like forty five yeah. when I finally looked. Yeah, I was I was about the same, and you know I second guessed myself the entire time I was I was preparing because I don't have one up-tempo tune in the bunch. I took care of that for you. I, I know you did, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Not on purpose. I just, no, but... Um, you know why? Because you stole all the ballads. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> Alan shared his list first, and I'm like, okay, there goes eight of my songs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which is great, because then I was able to pick yeah. more. Well, all but two of yours were on my quote-unquote short list, so it was just, uh, just two of them that... Uh, you have that I, I didn't. So there a lot of duplicates, you know. Um, Which makes sense because we grew up listening to them together. So Right, yeah. A and lot I, of shared memories. Yeah, as you said, same time, same place. Um, but I don't know. If, if we were just doing a Buffett spotlight, has he not passed, the list would be entirely different. You know, I, I can think of at least, well, probably 10 songs of the 12 would have been very up-tempo and an entirely different vibe, you know, a party vibe. Um not the way I went, though, and I don't know. I think the list is better for it. As, as you said when we were talking, you know, this week, the the slower songs I think are more reverent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, we're paying tribute to to the man, his his life, his legacy. Um, so, I think it's very apropos. Um, just a little bit of background, um, because the chances are we have a lot of listeners that don't know Buffett. Uh, everybody knows Buffett. Okay, it's hard to not know Buffett given that his Margaritaville brand is everywhere. Um, but a lot of people, if they know Buffett's music, they know the songs you know by heart. And then that's about it. Um, Buffett, <laughs> actually, I always use the last name. I'm, I'm always the English teacher, you know, doing research as I. Prepare. I just call him Jimmy. Yeah, I'm going to go Jimmy for this <laughs> call episode. Him Jimmy. It's Uncle Jimmy, yeah. Um, Jimmy was a successful singer songwriter really since 77. And that was when Margaritaville plunked him into America's pop consciousness. Um, you know, he was praised very early, though, for the narrative quality of his songs, which were closer to imaginative prose than to lyrical poetry. 
Eventually, he would also wed tropical languor with country funkiness into what some called Key West Sound or Gulf and Western. And with his sun-baked smile and his genial nature, Buffett was the good-time troubadour who chronicled misadventures in paradise, you know, taking listeners someplace they'd rather be. He attended the University of Southern Mississippi, where he earned degrees in history and journalism in the late 60s. Uh, He often mused that he went to school only to avoid the draft. You know, uh, that that was common. It was very common. It, it it presents itself in a lot of his songs. He talks about it. Our younger um, listeners may not realize that, you know, in the, in the 60s, um, it, everybody didn't go to college. Everyone still doesn't go to college, right? But, correct. you know, the Gen Xers on, it was kind of this expectation that if you want to be successful, you go to college, which is, of course, false. But, uh, yeah, a lot of young men um, who would have been, you know, headed towards working class jobs went into to college to avoid that. So. Yeah. And and Buffett was among them. Um, great song that no, neither of us chose. We are the parents, or we are the people, rather, that our parents warned us about. He talks in great detail about that. Um, from an early age, though, Buffett wanted to be a writer. And his dreams of writing came long before he thought about music, actually. According to Buffett, journalism was the only curriculum that was any fun to study when he went to school. Uh, in interviews, he often mused that kids today can major in aviation or cinematography. But he always said that he was so ancient that those electives were not around when he went to college. Uh, Buffett lamented that the university wouldn't let him take music courses because he wasn't a music major. In interviews, Buffett would recall that he was singing in a pizza joint in the afternoons and evenings, but university officials were so snooty they wouldn't even let him audit the music courses. Nonetheless, music came calling, and since 1977, Buffett was the poet laureate of Beach Bums Everywhere, for a career that lasted almost 50 years. Buffett never abandoned the spirit of his Gulf Coast childhood, though. He was born Christmas Day in Pascagoula, Mississippi. He grew up in and around Mobile, and his grandfather, Captain James Delaney Buffett, immortalized in his song Son of a Son of a Sailor, had been a South Seas ship's captain, who inspired Buffett with wonderful descriptions of distant points. As Buffett wrote, I let my mind go where my feet couldn't yet carry me. If the settings for future songs were slowly building, so too was the sense of detail that would allow Buffett to populate those songs with intriguing characters. After college, in a brief unprofitable stopover in Nashville, he ended up in New Orleans, and that, he said, was where his skills of observation were honed. He explained, My age of innocence ended when I moved into the French Quarter. I came from a very Catholic background, and I had been very sheltered. When I got to New Orleans, he said, I can remember the sights, the smells, and the kinds of people I'd never seen in a little town like where I grew up. One of the first of the real people to make the transition into song was Eddie Bukowski, and he went to Paris, a cleanup guy at a nightclub who'd lost an arm fighting with the Lincoln Brigade in Spain. He'd sing old war songs and tell stories, and Buffett loved listening because it was an extension of his grandfather telling him sea stories. Buffett was keenly aware that New Orleans was and remains an incredible melting pot of musical talent, but when it came to establishing a career in music, bands and artists had to go to New York, L.A., or Nashville. Buffett hadn't offered to go to L.A., but he only had enough gas money to go to Nashville, and once there, he never moved out of the shadows, though he did record a couple of albums for the long-defunct Barnaby label. Down to Earth was his first, and it sold a whopping 342 copies, and High Cumberland Jubilee followed. Buffett never included either of these albums in his official discography, though. Music reviews of the Barnaby albums were quick to point out that they were not country albums, but critics did say that they had more substance 
than country albums usually did. It was clear even then that he was already off on his own path. Eventually, Buffett, though, was off the beaten path as well. He discovered Key West in 72, accidentally. A booking at a Miami club fell through, and he was too broke to go back to Nashville. So Buffett hung out on the key with another renegade singer-songwriter named Jerry Jeff Walker. Buffett fell in love with the area and soon became a permanent resident. Over the years, Buffett celebrated Key West with memorable characters rooted in that region's geography, such as Captain Tony Terracino and Pirate Phil Clark. After all, this was a place where, quote, everyone was just more than contented to be living and dying in three-quarter time. It was a seaward community of real-life smugglers, would-be pirates, busy barkeeps, restless fishermen, salt-bred carousers, and curious tourists. They were all outlaws and expatriates, you know, right out of film noir. Buffett was looking for that kind of lifestyle, a Parisian B-movie style, and the people and places of those early years soon found their way into the songs he sang. Buffett's success might never have happened had Buffett's career followed the tra- trajectory of those first three official releases. In 1973 and 74, a white sport coat and a pink crustacean, living and dying in three-quarter time, an A1A, earned him widespread critical attention, but modest sales. It was 1977's Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes, which introduced Margaritaville as both a hit and a state of mind, and the follow-up, Son of a Son of a Sailor, that helped make Buffett radio-friendly and turned him into a major concert attraction. While radio success eluded him in the 80s, like the Grateful Dead, Buffett remained one of the most consistent tickets on the summer concert circuit, selling out around the country. His fans spanned several generations, uh, no doubt because a good deal of his songs served as college party music. And today, those fans have 30 studio albums of music to draw from. 30. I mean, he was... Oh, yeah, yeah. Very prolific. I know? was surprised. I think Far Side of the World was 20, uh, 24, 24th studio album. Yeah. It, it, and, and then he had six more after that. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it's just one of the reasons that I feel I he's got to enter the Rock Hall. He just does. And I don't know why. I'm sure they're going to continue to snub him because he is, of course, not viewed as a rock and roll artist. But, I mean, he is every bit as legendary as the dead. I mean, his following is so rabid. It is so loyal. And he has influenced the consumer market. Probably, I don't, I don't think there's been another band or artist since Kiss that, that has been so dominant in well, consumer goods. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing. He, he, you know, he's never won a Grammy. Right. Although he, Margaritaville is in the Grammy Hall of Fame for, I think they called it like cultural and historical significance. Um, but, you know, never won a Grammy or a music award that I know of, never had a number one song, uh, never was a critical darling. And yeah, he is, he became quickly a, a billion dollar media mogul. Yes. But, you know, I'm okay with that because to me, selling out is when an artist intends to break new ground artistically. And then after that appeals to what is popular. And that's, you know, of course, what they, what they call selling out. That was never Buffett. Buffett was always about the fans. Buffett mm-hmm. was always about getting his music um, to the to the most amount of people so they could escape. You yeah. know, and yeah. we'll talk more about all these these themes on on the podcast. But that I never blamed him for. Yes, there's Margaret Deville, and he has his own SM uh, radio station and all the clothing line. But that's okay because mm-hmm. he's making people happy. Yeah, and that's what Buffett's all about. So it doesn't bother me. You know, this isn't Radiohead we're talking about. <laughs> right, we're talking about Jimmy Buffett, and and that is 
completely fine with me. Never had a problem with it. Yeah. No, I agree. <clears throat> and, you know, Buffett was also sometimes held accountable for the surge of development in the Keys, um, as if his musical celebration alone was what made the region attractive to landlocked citizens and sea lovers alike. For a while, when the tourists got too aggressive, Buffett moved away. But while he maintained homes in St. Bart's and Martinique, Key West was still where he most often hung his hat. Um, he said, quote, when I found Key West in the Caribbean, I wasn't really successful yet, but I found a lifestyle and I knew that whatever I did would have to work around that lifestyle. He said, I'm really glad I found what made me happy first. Um, he was a founder also of such environmental groups as Friends of Florida and Save the Manatee. Um, he also served as a campaign uh, singer for Tony Terracino, who became Key West mayor in 1985 on an anti-development pro-environmental platform. Captain Tony. Yeah, Captain yep. Tony. Um, Key West was, was not only home to Buffett, uh, but also to his Caribbean Soul t-shirt store. Remember Caribbean Soul? Yep. That was eventually renamed Margaritaville in the late 80s, and that then grew into a chain of restaurants and bars. And then the Margaritaville brand exploded. At the time of his death, uh, through the Margaritaville brand, Buffett had ownership of hotels, casinos, a cruise line, retirement communities, packaged foods, beverages, spirits, outdoor furniture, home goods, appliances, video games, and apparel and accessories. Uh, he was one of the world's richest musicians with a net worth of over, as you said, $1 billion. In May 2023, Buffett was hospitalized to address issues that needed immediate attention, and he rescheduled tour dates. And then, of course, just this past weekend, um, you know, he, he died peacefully uh, at age 76 at his home in Sag Harbor, New York, uh, due to complications from Merkel cell carcinoma, a rare and aggressive skin cancer with which he had been diagnosed with four years earlier, though he never made that public. Um, I guess he was surrounded by family, friends, music, and his dogs, according to the, the statement released through his website. And in his final days, uh, he and his family were treated to a private concert. Paul McCartney actually visited. Yes, he did. Paul McCartney house. dropped by. Yeah. That's, um, and that's performed awesome. for the family. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, Buffett is a lot more than Margaritaville. And I think that if our listeners are unfamiliar with him, Maybe this podcast will will kind of be eye eye opening for mm -hmm. them. Um, he was he was a man who was very uh, very well read, very educated, but he was also so incredibly accessible. You know, anything that he wrote could be immediately understood and relatable to to a wide audience. And he he presented everything in such layman's terms, despite his his high. Uh, education that I think, you know, he, he's the embodiment of just everything Americans hope for when they want to go on holiday, when they want to escape. And that was, that was Jimmy's brand. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what, that's kind of what I'm trying to articulate is that so many, you know, obviously there are a lot of groups who what commercial success is, is their only objective, right? I mean, all artists usually have some, you know, spectrum between artistic integrity and, and obviously being able to, to eat. Um, but but for Buffett, it's a little bit different. I never felt like he was pandering to no. the audience. You know, he wasn't created, you know, with a, with a bunch of board execs deciding what the next big thing is and what's going to sell. 
Uh, it was always, like you said, really being able to have, find that empathy with his fans, mm-hmm. um, whether it be helping them deal with the rough waters of, of their lives, you know, giving us a safe island, um, you know, to, to at least get away out of the storm for a while. Um, that, that was the difference. And, and that's why I excuse all this stuff. I would never you know, blame someone for wanting to be successful. Um, but he did it with with pure motives. He, I, I honestly believe that. No, he did. And he did that because he knew that uh, he made people happy. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to talk about that as we yeah, go yeah. The we've touched on the, we uh, touched yeah. on the major themes that we'll explore in depth exactly here as in, we, in as great, we much greater depth. Yeah, our song. So so yeah, this uh, as as we said, this is a a special podcast episode. For our Uncle Jimmy. And, and we do have uh, margaritas here. Um, it is quite early uh, on, on Labor Day, <laughs> but uh, it's Labor Day, right? So we have margaritas. Uh, we I have my, my hat. Uh, of course, the audience can't see here, but uh, I have a straw hat about the dollar store back in 1992, I think, when I went to my first Buffett concert. And um, over the years, I added different accessories. Uh, now, after all these years, all I have left is a parrot, a shark, uh, a, a chameleon that looks diseased, um, a pineapple, and a fish. But uh, but there used to be a lot more on here, and they're somewhere buried in the mud of uh, of Buckeye Lake. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we both had those hats. I, you know, the following year, uh, I wore the hat a second time to Buckeye Lake, and as I was walking, you know, from the parking lot, somebody came up and offered me a hundred bucks for the hat. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and you thought I can make another one because yeah. it only cost you two exactly, bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Make. And I, I, I made a hundred bucks. I gave him the hat. You know. So I, I never made a second one. But I remember both of us. I mean, yours and mine. Oh, it was it was jam packed. I mean, everything from the junior mints to the. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it, it was, it was, garish and, and gaudy as hell. But it was pure Buffett. You know. Well, before we begin, we do have a shot of tequila. We want to start this off right here. So yes, let's uh, make a toast um, to Uncle Jimmy. Uncle Jimmy. Here we go. Mm. Okay. <laughs> we do that yeah. several times during the show. And we're going to be incredible. People might stick around just to see <laughs> yeah. how well this we're goes. We're going to get real sloppy here, folks. All right. It's your, uh, it's your pick. It is. My first song for today's mixtape is the title track from the 1977 album Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. As I said, this was the album that turned Jimmy Buffett from underrated country outlaw to tropical pop star. And it also established the template that would eventually create a multi-million dollar empire for the Southern singer-songwriter. It is also an album that remains epically misunderstood, frankly. 
Um, in the 46 years following its release, Buffett became the lifestyle guru, poet laureate, and celebrity cheerleader for a vast national network of obsessive fans known as Parrotheads, of which you and I are both proud card-carrying members. We Parrotheads turned out in droves to Buffett's summer tours to live the dream of an island escape, if only for a while, as part of a self-sustaining subculture known for partying as loud, long, and hard as the most raucous rock and roll crowd. In the years since Margaritaville started the whole thing, Buffett penned plenty of songs that seemed tailor-made for hoisting a tropical cocktail high. Uh, shaking your Bermuda shorts and grass skirt-clad butts to the Caribbean-infused groove and howling loud enough to scare the parrot off your shoulder. But he really began his career trying desperately to be Mobile Alabama's answer to Gordon Lightfoot. Really. He, and, you know, he never lost his penchant for reflective balladry. And that was the dominant mode on 1977's Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes album. Um, between 70 and 76, Buffett released seven records. But other than the 1974 single Come Monday, the wider world remained largely unaware of Buffett's easygoing blend of folk, country, and rock. And during that time of obscurity, Buffett adopted Key West as his spiritual home, and he refined a Gulf Coast version of his sound, matching his frequently topical tropics with Island Breeze music to match. In this way, his songs became increasingly party-flavored. Um, that process bore fruit on changes in latitudes. Uh, most famously with Margaritaville. But even though the album has become the Old Testament of Parrothead culture, it's actually about as far from an upbeat, good-time batch of tunes as you can get. Changes is actually more of a, a soundtrack for laying back and letting the sun wash over your booze-soaked body while you chuckle wryly about your life's missteps, uh, but not too loudly, you know, lest you incur the wrath of the hangover gods. Um... For casual fans who only know Buffett's more carousing songs like Fins, Volcano, Cheeseburger in Paradise, uh, as I said, my picks for today's episode will likely come as a surprise. I, I don't have one upbeat track on my list. I love Buffett's party vibe. I could lay back and listen to the tropical allure of a steel drum all day, every day. But for me, Buffett's introspective autobiographical tracks are more personal and infinitely more meaningful. Um, so often his balladry felt like it was written for me alone. You know, and, and it, it reflected my thoughts and feelings so completely. It was as if, it was as if the man knew me. Um, his music always lifted whatever burdened my mind, my heart, my soul, and the unwavering optimism and endless resilience of his lyrics served as a template. It helped me to hone my own life philosophy, especially in my late teens and early twenties. Uh, over the years, I've learned a lot from Buffett's music concerning life, success, disappointment, happiness, hard times. And to this day, when I am presented with any problem, big or small, I return to Buffett's music. It always lifts my mood and changes my perspective. And chief among those songs that helped me through troubling times is Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. It's, it's just the perfect song for those moments of change or difficulty in life. Whenever changes pop up in my life at unexpected times, I take pause and I sing the chorus to the song. I, I, I just break into song. You know, with these changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, nothing remains quite the same. With all of my running and all of my cunning, if I couldn't laugh, I just would go insane. And it really is that simple. You know, if I couldn't laugh, I would just go insane. This is that one song by Jimmy Buffett um, that always helps me to center myself. It's frankly the best advice I've ever received. The lightness of a difficult moment is never easy to see, but Buffett's words are a reminder that if I can laugh at the absurdity of my problem, 
I'm generally able to resolve that problem. And if that problem exists outside of my control, I'm still in control of my attitude. A change of attitude brings catharsis. And, you know, Jimmy, you know, he was more than a favorite musician. He was a good friend. And changes in latitude rightfully begins my list for that reason. He has time and again helped me to make decisions when I was faced with hard choices. He's helped me through personal loss. He's helped me through heartbreak. Um, and, uh, you know, it's those changes in latitudes. You know, it's just his 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 very whimsical take on life. Never take things too seriously. You know, live for the moment. It, it's a It's a mantra that I think if we all lived by Jimmy Buffett's brand of escapism, the world would be a much happier place. Yeah, I think it's important too to note in context when Buffett becomes popular. So, again, a little little history lesson. But in the in the nineteen eighties, right, the, the the decade of of the yuppie, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the Reaganomics. Um, it was it was the decade when the baby boomers went from hippies uh, um, to CEOs and. He mentions, I mean, the one thing about Buffett is he, he, he can be very metaphorical at times, and at times he can be really stark and direct. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of really direct pop culture references throughout his music, um, so many so that a lot of them from, from the 60s and 70s we didn't even understand growing up. Oh, yeah. Uh, people he would name drop and so forth. Uh, but he always had this idea that, yeah, you might be on your, you know, I think about um, uh, what was the song from Banana Wind? Only time will tell, I yeah, think, yeah. about how, um, yeah, you can have your corp climb and you can have your board meetings and everything, but really when it comes down to it, all that matters is, um, you know, how are you living this life? Are you really enjoying the wealth that you're accumulating? Do you take a break? You know, do you, do you take time to escape from all of that? Right. And that really, if, if you run your life just trying to, to win, uh, by the end of your life, you're not going to have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, well said. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Buffett said it. I'm just, well, yeah. <laughs> just true, true. Just paraphrasing. Yeah. No, only time will tell. Great song. Yep. All right, sir, you're up. All right. Well, surprise, surprise. I'm starting with a, with a. And this is funny. I say a a, a newer song, okay? Because I think <laughs> of of a lot of, the, of Buffett's newer studio albums as being like have, having been released in the last couple of years. And so when my first pick came from the album Far Side of the World, I thought, oh yeah, this is one of his newer albums. It came out in 2002. Yeah. It's like 20 years old. <laughs> It's just strange, right? Time, you know, it's just very slippery as we get older. Uh, but yeah, Banana Wind was, I think, the last. So my Buffett fandom had a really small window. Um, I think you and I are similar in this. Um, we had heard songs you know by heart, which I think a lot of people had in high school. Uh, but then when the box set dropped, yeah, and that's what really exposed us to the back catalog. Um, and we'll talk about that box set too. And then after that, there was this um, uh, trilogy. I, I look at it as a spiritual trilogy. Okay, and maybe that's because you know all I knew was the box set. These were the first three records released since the box set, but I think they're spiritually aligned thematically. I think um, um, not only that, but just the quality of, of the records. You know, sometimes Buffett can be hit or miss in some of the deeper tracks. Um, I felt even the deeper tracks were really solid on these these three records. But by the end of Banana Wind, which I think was '96. Um, he kind of took a, a little hiatus. He, I think he had, well, was it Where's the Carnival? And he had a musical that he was working on. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was where, I think this is when he started kind of working on a lot of his... Yeah. Don't don't stop the carnival. Don't stop the carnival, yeah. 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 And he started working a lot on his other business interests. And so, you know, I went on to other artists. And so I always stayed a paired head um, from, from that body of work. 
but but never really indulged in some of the newer records like Beach House on the Moon and Far Side of the World and so forth. Right. Um, and, and there are some gems. And so if you are a, a listener that kind of like like me, at least, I don't know about you, but stopped listening as closely to the newer stuff, you really should go out and check some check it out because there's some good stuff out there. And so this is an example of that. Um, by far, my, my favorite song from, you know, the, the, the new century. I'm halfway around the planet in a most unlikely place Following my song line past bamboo shacks and shops Behind a jitney packed like sardines with bananas piled on top I ran away from politics, it's too bizarre at home The way I flew tuned in to blue, maybe Amsterdam or Rome Wakened by a stewardess with Spain somewhere below On the threshold of adventure, God, I do love this job so So while I make my move on the big board game Up and down that Spanish highway, some things remain the same Far Side of the World is, I mentioned earlier, Buffett's 24th studio album. Uh, and it was the first to release on his own label. So that's another thing uh, in his portfolio. Um, he went out and, and started his own label, right. um, called it Mailboat Records, which is smart because uh, you're giving a pretty hefty percentage uh, to the record company. And uh, once he had enough money to be able to start his own, yeah. um, that, that was a smart business move. Yeah, I, I actually read, uh, preparing for the today's episode, under MCA, which eventually became... Uh, I think it was Universal, became Universal, uh, the label. He was only making $2.20 per album. Right. When he created his own label, he began making $6 yeah, per yeah. album. Yeah, big, big so difference. It's a big, big difference, yeah. So I kind of look at Buffett in this way. He wrote, I put his songs in three separate categories. See if you, if you're, if I'm wrong here. Um, he has his story songs, mm-hmm. he has his party songs, and he has, for lack of a better term, his descriptive slash reflective songs. Yeah. And I think everything kind of fits neatly in the, those categories. Now, you could always categorize things like you did the box set, which was, you know, boats, boats beaches, beaches, bars, bars and ballads, which works yeah. as well. But I kind of put them in these three buckets. And this is a perfect example of, of the last type of song. This is more of a descriptive or reflective song. And it's simply an ode to world traveling and all the possibilities that it opens up. And, of course, Buffett himself was a world traveler, and, yep. and he, he, he traveled quite extensively even before he became, you know, the Jimmy Buffett that we know. And, of course, a lot of those adventures come out in, in his songs and so forth. Um, you know, I, I'm not a music guy first, right? You're a lyric, I think you're a lyrics first guy, and I'm a music first guy. Right. We've talked about that. But there's something about this, this song, um, this catchy melody, which really sits atop of this, this clean, crisp, multi-instrumental arrangement that I love so much about this song. In fact, I, I'm, I actually might rank this song in the top five for me musically hmm. of Buffett's entire catalog. Okay. And it's it's just it's a song I always start a road trip to now. Uh, if I'm going to go on a road trip, even if or I'm going to fly somewhere out, I always play Far Side of the World. It's just such a kind of a mid tempo and in, 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 what I'm, I'm trying to say. It kind of allows you to anticipate the trip and adventure you're about to experience. That's yeah. how I look at it. Okay, um, I see that. 
So, and as I mentioned before, if, if you're a paired head and you, and you haven't heard this this song um, or some of this later music, I would start here. Uh, in fact, it's a friend of mine, Mike, who um, paid a lot closer attention to his newer stuff. And, you know, several, probably at this point, 15 years ago, uh, made a mix CD for me of all of the later Buffett stuff from, from the records I didn't have. And he started the mix CD with this song, and that really kind of kind of grabbed me right away. So I'm going to start with Far Side of the World. Yeah, that works. It's a great song. And it, it's the... It's a more mature uh, extension, you know, more mature take of songs like Cowboy in the Jungle and African Friend, you know. um, Some of Buffett's very early works are Tampico Trauma, Mm -hmm. which I love, you know, that bluesy. Yeah, you see a lot of different versions of the same song, and I say that in in a respectful way. Right. Um, Like last night I was thinking about how he went to Paris, developed into... Last Mango in, in, in Paris. Yeah. All right, because it's it's kind of talking about a, a larger-than-life personality uh, and what they experience in their lifetime. So, but I like that. I like the fact that he can take a song and then kind of reboot that song so that it doesn't sound like the original song, but thematically kind of adheres to his more mature um, songwriting abilities. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, the, the newer stuff, I, I don't have it represented on my list. Not really. Um, the, the, the oldest song that I have on my list um, oh gosh I'm trying to think probably let me take a look here I mean other than yeah. Barside the World Banana Windows as far as I go right I, I have I have a rep, I have a song representing Barometer Soup okay. um, that, so, yeah, that'll yeah. be on side B so that was 95 yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything after 95 you know I and I felt kind of bad about that because Bama Breeze or Bama, Bama Breeze, Bama. I, I, I don't know. Probably <laughs> but Bama. But I think like it's Bama. Bama. Yeah, I think it's Bama Alabama. Breeze, which is an incredible tune. Yeah. And I, it's you know, I have personal um, connection to it. My my cousin wrote the song, you know, um, and so which is really pretty freaking cool. Yeah, you oh, say yeah. that Buffett performed one of your cousin's songs, but it wasn't Buffett's song. You know what I mean? It, it it's very polished. It does not sound like. The rest of Jimmy's discography. I love the song, but I don't have any personal, reflective, you know, connection to it. It's just, you know. Well, it's it's Nashville. That's what's kind of funny, right? So Nashville reject. You already mentioned this in the intro, but um, Nashville rejects him, and he and he basically goes to Key West to kind of get away from it all and decide what he's going to do with his career, and that of course saves his career. But almost, it's almost like Nashville then um, finally welcomed him back with yeah. open arms, especially when he started doing duets with Alan Jackson and Zach Brown Band. Martina McBride, there were the, Kenny Chesney, there were a number of them, yeah. Correct. And I think those artists were smart, knowing that you know Jimmy Buffett wouldn't be around forever and, and somebody would need to pick up that paired head mantle, which I think Zach Brown Band probably did the best in Kenny Chesney. Yeah. But... Um, uh, so yeah, you just you see that um, that that Nashville coming into some of that later music um, that you didn't see in some of the earlier stuff. Right. I, I will say this about Bama Breeze. Um, it 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 does not sound like Buffett, but it did prove that Buffett could, you know, he could rest among the the newer country artists that he influenced. Sure. You know, he he ch- he charted on the country charts with it, and it you know he was every bit as good as anything being released by contemporary country artists. Buffett's kind of become like the North Star to country artists. You know, I mean, everybody now does a Buffett tune. I mean, Blake Shelton and and Luke Bryan and just everybody has... And not to be cynical, but they know it's good for their pocketbook if they do. Exactly, yeah. I mean, (laughs) mean, it's a formula that works. Yeah, there are so many of those beach 
songs, you know, within the country industry now, that wasn't a thing. I mean, oh no, no, no that was. I mean, Buffett created the genre. I mean, you know? can you think of any escapism music before? I mean, not not a lot. Maybe a song here or there, but no, I, not really. I mean, he he invented the genre. I mean, right. he really did. And and now you know. Like Kenny Chesney, I nothing against Kenny Chesney. Uh, a few of his songs I, I enjoy. I'm not a country fan. Here in Mexico, I think it's Kenny Chesney. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He has that. He has uh, guitars and tiki bars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everything from key lime pie to summertime. I mean, he is a number summertime. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a number yeah. of country, um, you know, golf and western, um, you know, tunes, and that that's basically his bread and butter now. That's most sure. mostly what he records. Um, but to me, he's it's it's. It's not that his music's, you know, lacking. It's just, it's unoriginal. Sure. At this point, it's almost as though everybody is trying to, to cash in. Right. On no, that, that, sound. They are. They're, they're trying to become yeah. the next Barrethead band, you know. Yeah. And, you know, best to them. Zach Brown, I agree. Zach Brown band, I genuinely. He's the real deal, man. Yeah, I, love, I genuinely I love, okay. love Zach Brown. Um, the rest of them, it's, it's I don't know. It, it's just not... It's to me. It's it's not in the same vein. It sounds similar, but it's not authentic. I think that's really the key: is authenticity. Yep. Buffett lived the lifestyle, yeah. you know, and I can't say that that's true for most of the Nashville artists today. Um, okay, my next song. Yep. Okay, I went with uh, this is one that our our listeners likely do not know. It comes from the 1983 album One Particular Harbor. My next song selection is called Distantly in Love. Hey, phones all were ringing as the crowd went roaring by. Lovely dancers swaying to an island lullaby. Beside the southern ocean, taking stock of what's to be. Writing you this letter that you'll probably never see. I can't help but be ruled by inconsistencies, not unique, just distantly in love. Now, distantly in love speaks to the complexities of unrequited and unfulfilled love. It delves into the pain, the nostalgia, and the resignation that comes with being physically and emotionally separated from someone you still care deeply about, even in the midst of a world full of distractions and others sharing similar experiences. Uh, it, it's heartbreaking, but it's also very mature in its admission that life goes on. Um, I lived this song <laughs> my, my junior and senior years of high school well into my college career. I think we all remember, everybody remembers their, their fears and insecurities of first love. And in our adolescence, we're never really equipped with the strategies to overcome heartbreak. You know? Developmentally, it's it's something, it's it's a rite of passage that you you live the experience and lesson learned. Um, in truth, though, I don't know that we're ever equipped at any age to deal with heartbreak. But I remember my first heartbreak and how it destroyed me. I mean, I, I carried a torch for my ex girlfriend for years, and it did not help that I was the third wheel whenever I was with my friends. Every one of you <laughs> was in a relationship. You know, some of you went through several relationships in the time that I was single. I was the only one who had nobody. And it went on that way for many years. Uh, During that time, the one song that I returned to again and again was Buffett's bittersweet ballad, Distantly in Love. Um, You know, breakup songs are always cathartic. 
when you find yourself at the end of a relationship. But the sense of longing and yearning for connection that's conveyed in this song hit home in a way no other song could, because here, the themes of unrequited love and estrangement are explored in the context of acceptance. Um, It's not an angry song, nor is it a weepy or debilitating song. Rather, Buffett framed his separation in the song as a web of inconsistencies. It's, It's a lesson in letting go, while simultaneously imagining infinite what ifs. He, he, he holds dear the memories of his past by toasting an old photograph while writing a letter he, he says he knows he will never send. And he, he concedes that he can never be the person that his former lover deserves. He says, I can't be the one, um, I can't be the one to fill your times in all your places. I can't be the one to fill your blanks and empty spaces. He, he concedes that she's better off without him. And by song's end, he admits that he does not hold contempt for his former lover. He wishes her a happy life. The, the song, you know, it played out very differently from the breakup songs on the radio in the early 90s. And, and Buffett's resignation was so adult-like in its reflection and self-assessment. You know, to, to quote Shakespeare, the course of true love never did run smooth. And distantly in love, it helped me to bear responsibility for the breakup and to better understand myself in preparation for the love that would come later in life. This was a life-changing song for me. And it's just, I don't know, it, to me, the, from, the, from the very first notes, it is so tropical. You know, it's not one of his upbeat tunes. Right, right. But, well, you don't have to have, you don't have uh, the up-tempo. It, exactly. Tropical. But I mean, it's, it doesn't have the Caribbean flair, you know, or that, that drum beat. But it, there's just something about, you know, the guitar work. It, it's just so breezy. Mm-hmm. And it's so chill, really. I, it, you listen to the song, it's gut-wrenching, but it's not a sad song. Which, which is really kind of, you know, that was a new idea to me. I think the only other song that I could even name that, that is kind of in the same vein is The Heart of the Matter hmm. yeah, by, yeah, Don, yeah. by okay. John Henley. Right. I can see that. Very similar to, to The Heart right. of the Matter. Um, but yeah, this one, I, I just, it, it got me through a lot of very dark years. I was single for a long, long time. and That's because yeah. you were too picky, Alan. Was I too picky? <laughs> well, well no, because I, I mean, if I remember correctly, like, we would see, see some girl out and... and I would try to encourage you to, to go uh, check up a conversation and you'd be like, yeah, no, I, I'm just not feeling it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, the wingman worked in Florida. When we were in Florida, and, uh, you were my wingman. I, I met Adrian. Was that her name? It, it, Did you think yeah. I remember that. I don't even remember <laughs> Florida. <laughs> no, we were at Little Darlings in, uh, oh, Kissimmee. Yeah. And um, yeah, you you were my wingman. Yeah, I, I remember we played with the name Adrian the rest of the time we were in Florida, you know, doing Rocky references. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, no, I'm too picky. Well, if I was too picky, it worked well because I'm, I'm very content with my, uh, you know, my marriage of 23 years to my wife. So it, it you know, it was worth the wait. But, but maybe I was too picky. I don't know. <laughs> it's easy to, con- it's easy to be self-deprecating and, and, you know, blame myself for my singleness. Not, nothing wrong than having high, not having high standards. No. Nope. And it's much easier when you're drinking margaritas on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. So starting to feel like tequila a little bit now. Uh, tequila with the margaritas on top of it. Yeah. All right. My turn? Yes, it is. All right. So I, I already mentioned about how um, I see those those three records, my, my probably my favorite three Buffett records, um, that came out after the box set, Fruitcakes, Rummer Soup, and, and, and Banana Wind, as this, like, spiritual thread. And... Um, they all have their own individual characteristics, but like I said, there's, there's a common theme running through them. 
And of all the songs on those three records, probably, well, my favorite probably is School by Heart. Oh, yeah. Um, but a very, very close second, and depending on the day, might actually, I might like more than School by Heart, is, is Barometer Soup, which is the title track from, from the 1995 release, which was the second. So you had Fruitcakes in 94, you had uh, Barometer Soup in 95, and 96 was Banana Wind. And I just, I feel like these records represent a more mature, you might have already mentioned this, a more mature songwriter, um, not only lyrically covering a lot of the same ground as he did in his 20s, but from, from a different perspective, which I really appreciate, uh, but also musically. Yeah. Um, really adds a, a lot. I mean, there have always been some elements of blues and jazz um, in a lot of his early recordings, but you really see him expand um, on the type of musical um, uh, genres that he explores in these three records. Soup is just to me this perfect little tropical sounding sailing tune. Um, even the song's rhythm, if you, if you listen to it, next time you listen to it, just, just listen how the rhythm mimics the slow rocking of a boat out at sea. You know, that's, that's not an accident. And the song to me serves as a greeting and an invitation to join him on this adventure that would be the record Barometer Soup. Yeah. And Barometer Soup has, has lots of, of tales. Some of them are based on, on classic literary works like F. Scott uh, Fitzgerald, um, Mark Twain. Um, and, and other ones are just, like you mentioned earlier, some of the zany characters that he creates. And this is also the same time that he writes and publishes two fiction works. One is a collection of short stories called Tales from Margaritaville. And then where is um, Joe Merchant? I thought Tales from Margaritaville came out about the same time as Off to See the Lizard. No, I, well, I guess I'm not. I'm just saying late, the later in his, like the second oh, oh. phase of his career is gotcha. when he starts writing okay. fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that was that was earlier, and then I think uh, Joe Merchant comes out um, probably '93. Yeah, it was right, right around there. Yeah, it was right, right around. In fact, uh, some of the songs on this on this trilogy um, actually like Desdemona's building a rocket ship, specifically right. uh, about a character from Joe Merchant. He even mentions Frank Bama, um, and one of the songs uh, where he outros and kind of was it. I, again, getting older, I can't tell you the right. exact song, right? As many times as I've listened to these albums. But, um, so it's, it's kind of an invitation. And he even says, come on, let's have some fun. You know, follow me. It's just a, a, a great opening. You know, you have some great openers for, for concept albums. Um, 
you know, Sergeant Pepper uh, is one that comes to mind. And this is very similar in that. It just introduces the tone. It says, hey, we're going to have some fun here. Leave your troubles behind. Hop on the boat with me. And don't worry about where we're going. But I'm going to take you to some really, really interesting places. And so that song, that same metaphor, I like in terms of just in, of life, right? It's another one that I always play before starting a road trip. Um, my wife and I started, you know, during this time period of these three records is when I got married. And my wife and I started taking trips on our own before we had kids. And we would always, we had our mixtape, right, of Buffett. And um, Far Side of the World, of course, wasn't on it at that point. But Barometer Soup was what always started, yep. started the trip. Um, he also, the song also has this feeling of, that great feeling of finally being done with something that you've dreaded doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's more motivating to get other things done than when you have to do something else. You ever notice that? Yeah. Like, I don't, I, there are a million things around the house that I don't care if I ever get to. I know I have to sometime, but as soon as I have to do a task that I don't want to do, all of a sudden I'd rather do all these other things. <laughs> so true. That I've avoided. And when you finally kind of just dig in and, and finish whatever you're avoiding, there's this, this freeing feeling, right, of having yeah. it behind you. And, I, and, and so the lyrics say, come on, let's have some fun. The hard work has been done. It's so simple, but I just love that idea. You know, you've clocked out, whatever, you know, whatever you were avoiding is, is gone. And now you can just take a, a sigh of relief and enjoy the rest of your day. And, and that's what the song represents for me as well. So, it, it, and also musically, I kind of noticed a trend when I was going through these songs that I chose that, you know, Buffett at times, especially in the 80s, got a little overproduced, uh, had a little bit of 80s sound, a little keyboard heavy in parts. Yeah, It's the songs that even during those eras that were just crisp, um, I mean, the arrangements were still complex. I mean, had lots of, you know, they're very multi-instrumental, but they were also very simple and very stripped down at the same time. And that just gives it kind of a timeless feeling. And that's barometer soup for me. Too. If I listen to barometer soup, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't say, oh yeah, this is definitely, you know, late nineties Buffett. Because I think barometer soup could fit, you know, on Wiker Station. It could fit later on Far Side of the World. It's just a timeless song. Yeah. No, you're right about the overproduction. I, I think of like Riddles in the Sand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, well, that's, that's, he kind of got back into a country. Yeah, it's, it's very country, country very yeah. country. Great songs on it. I mean, Knees of My Heart, mm-hmm. you know, Who's the Blonde Stranger, a lot of great tunes, but not only is it very country, but it's very 80s. Yes. It's a very dated yes. album, yes. you know? Um, yeah, the the albums, you know, that this trilogy that you're speaking of, which I love, um, it doesn't, it, it's not dated. Right. I, most of, very nearly every track on all three albums to me is is very timeless. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um so no I agree. And it is you're right. I mean Barometer Soup is just it's one of the great openers from Jimmy's discography. And it is the perfect lead into Barefoot Children. Mm-hmm. Those two songs back to back, I mean it's oh, it's just a joy every time you listen to them. It, it's a testament too of surrounding himself with great musicians. Yeah. Right? I mean Buffett himself is is a, a talented guitar player and he's he's a very, he's a talented singer, but he's not your classical studio musician doesn't have a classically you know uh, trained voice and the fact that he is able to build his his vision on a canvas of, of very talented musicians um, allows him to uh, go through for different genres right yeah um, when you when you try adding a horn section you know to a, a blues your track or, or something jazzy uh, you need to have people that can that can pull that off and so um, I think it was wise whoever produced those records um, those three records was wise and kind of backing off on some of the more popular Production styles of the time. Um, 
this one also is top five for me. This is an all-around top five for me, okay? Not just musically, but all-around. Um, if you ask me to, to list my five favorite Buffett songs, Brahmin or Soup is definitely in that, that top five. And, um, and, and then the Steel Drums. It's funny. There were, it, it, I might be wrong, but it, it felt like on the, in the, some of the 80s tracks, the Steel Drums were actually keyboards, which just shocks me. I'd have to go back and tell you what song, but there were a few in there I'm thinking, this is not an actual acoustic steel drum. This is a steel drum sound on a keyboard. And I'm like, why would you do that? And then he luckily got away from that because the steel drum on Barometer Soup is, is completely analog. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm certain he did it because, yeah. you know. It was some of those, those it, mid, mid yeah, 80s albums. Because, you know, the, the synth pop. Right. of the 80s. I mean, it extended to well, every... It's cheaper, to, yeah. you know. I mean, it, it you is. Have to, but, but like I said, because he, whether he kind of overrode some of the people at the, at the record company and said, you know, I know it saves money having somebody can play keyboard, but no, no, we need the real deal here. Yeah. We need actual steel drums. Maybe it just took to, to the 90s until he was able to... Um, I don't know. Persuade I, them. I don't know. I mean, one particular harbor is, is real steel drums. So right. it's not like, and that's 83. And that's 83. But I just felt like there was that in-between time in the late 80s where there were yeah. some songs that just felt really... It, it would probably be, fun. again, um, Riddles in the Sand, Flora Days. Um, yeah, it's just that, that 80s. Right. Mid to late 80s period. Um, yeah, because I... Yeah, through one particular harbor, every song with right. steel yes, drums, yes. that and Coconut Telegraph, Volcano right. before it. Um I don't know. I'd have to go back and actually listen. I've never really... And, and it may be some of the live albums. I don't know. I'll have to go back. Free and Frenzy. Well, live album... an actual steel drum or did oh, they yeah. use a key? No, live, okay. live... When he's on stage, it's always steel okay. drum. Yeah, I mean, he has... The Coral Reefer Band has several steel drum players right, in right. it. Um, and, and in fact, we have to take a moment just to talk about the Coral Reefer Band. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, Mac McNally oh, is he, incredible. He's... I'm hoping that he continues... He's Buffett's right arm, yeah. songwriting, playing. Exactly. Everything. I'm hoping that he continues in the industry because I would like to think that he would continue in Jimmy's, yeah. you know, tradition. Yeah. Um, another one that is just incredible is Greg Fingers Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know what he can do, especially on the harmonica. It, it's it's some impressive stuff that that he would, you know, his delivery on stage. Eric Darkin on, on percussion. I mean, the Coral Reefer band was legit. They were a just. A very tight. Didn't did group. Savannah sing back up for a time with him, his daughter? You know, I I vaguely recall thinking that she did, um, or or reading, or I I don't know if that if she did or if that's urban myth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. I think her name is Tina Gullickson. Uh, she's blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of the yep. one of the uh, female vocalists. For the longest time, I think I thought she was oh, okay. Savannah. Yeah. Now I. But but nonetheless, I mean, I've I've heard and I've read and people told me that Savannah was yeah, in the yeah. band. So I, I don't know. And that's that's something I, I didn't think to look up. But yeah, on the, on the whole, I mean, his his Coral Reefer band and just the the, you know, the wordplay Coral Reefer. Sure, you know, sure. Right. You know, you don't get more beach bum than that. But um, yeah, I'm really curious to see. Does the band dissolve? Do they go on? Can they? You know, are they? I don't know how close they I are. I mean, maybe they do something similar because the, the Grateful Dead, right, right. Um, after Jerry Garcia died, then they had their version of, what did they call it? I forget. They had a special um, name. Yeah. But it was basically the Grateful Dead without Jerry Garcia touring. Right. Um, maybe they do something like that. Because I'll tell you what, I would gladly fork over the money to go in and see the Coral Reefers perform. Yeah. You know, with or without Jimmy. I mean, they, they were a family. Yep. And 
I, I have to think if they continue to record even just you know a, a, a smaller group of them performing it's going to sound very similar yep. so I'm, I'm hoping that their careers do not splinter and they, they don't fade into obscurity because they were a just an incredible group of musicians. Well, they are. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm using the past tense for them, too. They are an incredible group of musicians. So, Okay, my third. This one is often lauded as Buffett's greatest uh, story song. Um, it is a favorite of Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan actually cited Buffett as one of his favorite songwriters. Hmm. Uh, very famously, the two songs that he named as being the most impressive songs that he absolutely loved were Death of an Unpopular Poet. Oh, yeah. Which is incredible. Which I almost selected I, for this. I did, too. Because yeah. thematically it works. It does, yeah. I, but that one, and then this uh, next song from the 1973 album A White Sport Coat and a Pink Crustacean, it is He Went to Paris. He went to Paris Looking for answers to questions that bothered him so he was impressive, young and aggressive, saving the world on his own. But the warm summer breezes, the French wines and cheeses, put his ambition at bay. Summers and winters scattered like splinters, and four or five years slipped away. I know so many people who cite this as Jimmy's best song. Did, have you ever seen the Letterman clip? I don't know. Look it up on YouTube. So um, it wasn't, I think it was a little bit later. It might have been 76, 77, but he was on, on Buffett or on uh, Letterman. And he was just sitting there, um, you know, at the interview desk next to, next to David. And he requested the song. Uh, Letterman's like, you know, would you mind just playing he went to Paris. Oh, no, it was come Monday. I'm sorry. You're talking about he went to Paris. Yeah. I, it was come Monday. Anyway, it's still a great track. He ends, he plays, um, Come Monday for Letterman, just acoustically, and it's just, you know, some artists, you know, you hear them out of the studio live, and you can tell there's a lot of studio magic. Um, this was just Buffett with acoustic guitar, no effects, on stage, impromptu, and just sounded incredible. In fact, you can almost, I, dare I say, he even sounds better, because when it's just him and a guitar, and his true vocal range comes out, and he's not trying to, you know, do anything theatrical. Right. Uh, he's just, he's, he's solid all yeah. the way. Anyway, that I, for some reason in my mind, maybe because they were two early hits, I transpose them sometimes. But uh, check that out if you get a chance. All right, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely will. Well, you know, Buffett solo with the guitar, Savannah Jane directed a series of videos mm -hmm. um, during COVID. Did you, have you seen any of those? That's the same time he did songs you don't know by heart. Yeah, and yeah. the videos were what prompted him to record that album. Okay, um, because she chose, you know, I think it was twelve tracks, right, right, that she had never heard her dad tell the stories about, and she filmed them. They're all on YouTube. They're fantastic clips. I mean, Jimmy performs the song and he goes through the stories and the history of you know how the song came uh, to be, and a lot of those songs, you know. People, they're songs you don't know by heart, <laughs> you know? And they were just classics that I always, many of them I wished for years that I would hear him perform live. Um, and of course, he then did uh, record all those songs mm -hmm. anew, uh, just, you know, new acoustic versions of them. And it's just him and guitar, if it's I remember It's just him correctly. and guitar. Yeah. That, that, it was one of two albums that he, he released um, 
I think it was 2022, I think it was just last year, uh, with Songs You Don't Know By Heart, and then, of course, uh, Life on the Flip Side, mm-hmm. which was yep. his last studio album. Um, but, yeah, Jimmy with the guitar, here's the and, thing. And real quick, there, there's another one, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, he recorded another record that they will release yeah, in the next year or so. It was supposed to be um, a 2024 release, I, I think so, yeah. 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 Um, equal parts string. I, I forget what it was called. So there's one more studio album. Yeah, I did I did see that. Oh, I'll have to look it up here uh, as we continue. But, yeah, there is one that's uh, still to be announced on the release date. So Jimmy has uh, more music. And here's the thing. For 30 studio albums, I have to think that we're looking at an this is this is Springsteen level. He has to have so many songs that never made it on to well the, the box albums. set. If I remember correctly, it had eight songs that never made records right on the box set. So right there, I mean, you yeah, some some tracks that didn't make it. I don't know if on Springsteen level, but yeah, I'm sure there is some stuff out there that yeah, well, we I haven't heard. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean the the know, volume. The, yeah, the un- unreleased tracks oh, gotcha, are yeah. on Springsteen level. But can you name another artist? You know that that had a fifty-year career with thirty studio albums. Dylan. Okay. Well. <laughs> Neil Young. No. Well, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll Grateful give you, Dead. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It is rare, though. It is it's, rare. It's very rare because you have to have enough of a fan base. Yeah. To either sustain a record contract or have your own label, right? Where you can just continue to make music. Yeah. Um, and the three you named, you know, Buffett is very similar in. Um, just you know, his relationship with the fans. Sure. You know, I mean, you just named three artists that, you know. And that's why they have that longevity. Exactly. Because, because Blunt, people continue to buy their records regardless. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, Buffett is on that level. It's, I don't know. In fact, what I've loved is that just in the last few days, the outpouring and the accolades and the tributes that are coming out on social media and, and just – you know, they're everywhere from recording artists and industry insiders. I, I Buffett, I know a lot of people who just, they, they you know, thumb their nose at Jimmy Buffett. They, they don't even know his work. They think they do. And they just kind of dismiss him as being, you know, a novelty act, somebody that, you know, is not to be taken seriously and that, you know, they, they say that it sounds alike or that he has so little talent. I mean, Jimmy has never been a great singer. But he doesn't auto tune. I mean, what no, no. I mean, he's he he's, he's on he's on pitch. Right. It's just the tone is yeah. is, is is different. Is exactly. But what I you know I kind of like that he's not polished. You know, as a performer. I mean, he is. It's very earnest and very sincere. Whether he's being, you know, jovial and, and being frankly sometimes you know even immature in his in his song delivery, or if he's performing a song on this level, like he went to Paris. You know, very serious, very. Emotive. I mean, Jimmy Buffett was very real, and the accolades that are coming out, and all the praise for his music, and all the top ten lists. Everyone, everyone right now is posting, you know, what they feel are his ten greatest or his twelve greatest tunes. I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out hope. Maybe this is what gets him the recognition that he so deserved. You know, he still is just an underrated all-time great, and it, to me, it's. It's really a shame that so few people know his back catalog. Sure. And, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping that something good comes from his his passing and that his music is more greatly appreciated. All right, so he went to Paris, now that I detoured considerably. <laughs> um, 
as a kid, I dreamed of being a writer, you know, and I still do. Uh, but limited time and energy paired with a severe lack of self-discipline <laughs> makes such dreams far-reaching at age 50. It's one of the things I most great, I, I just, I'm in awe of you, that you actually, you know, did it. You sat yourself down, you... Well, like, you, it's discipline, and, and it's I, structure, yeah. it's, it's a job, it's carrying wood from one side of the, you know, yard to the other. It's, yeah, and I just, I lack that. It's, gr- it's a grind. <laughs> I, I've always lacked the self-discipline and... Frankly, I'm, I'm the world's worst procrastinator. I'm as bad as my students when it comes to procrastination. Um, but I still do dream of, you know, being a writer. I have the ideas. I just sitting down and, you know, beginning to, to type them out is an entirely different endeavor. But Buffett, he's always been an inspiration to me. I mean, he's always been. But, you know, Buffett's first three books all placed on the New York Times bestseller list. Tales from Margaritaville and Where's Joe Merchant both spent over seven months on the New York Times bestseller fiction list, and his memoir, A Pirate Looks at 50, published in 1998, went straight to number one on the New York Times bestseller nonfiction list, making him one of the very, very few authors to have reached number one on both the fiction and nonfiction lists. Buffett, Isn't it, his, his fiction did better commercially than his music as far as yeah, the charts go? It, it did, yeah, which is... Quite ironic, really. Uh, Buffett also co-wrote two children's books. It just means more people listen to music than read. That's all that means. Well, yeah. It's <laughs> good point, yeah. Um, can't argue with that. Uh, Buffett also co-wrote two children's books, The Jolly Mon, based on his 1985 song, Jolly Mon Sings, uh, from Last Mango in Paris, and also Troubled Dolls. Uh, he, he wrote both of these picture books with his eldest daughter, Savannah Jane, and the original hardcover release of The Jolly Mon included a cassette tape recording of the two reading the story together, accompanied by an original score written by Michael Utley, another coral reefer. Another coral reefer. Yeah. Uh, Buffett's second novel, A Salty Piece of Land, this one I have not read, not yet, was released in 2004. And the first edition of that book included a CD single of a song by the same name. The book was a New York Times bestseller soon after its release as well. And then Buffett's last title, Swine Knot, uh, was released in 2008. I, I've not read Saudi Piece of Land or Swine Knot, but he is, you know, he, he's a writer. And as I said earlier, he, he dreamt of writing before he dreamt of music. Um, but, you know, what often escapes the notice of so many is that Buffett has always been an accomplished storyteller. And many of his best songs tell incredible stories which is even more impressive, I think. I think that the story songs in some ways are far more impressive than the, the short stories and the novels because he has the economy of just three to five verses to complete his tales, you know? And the fact that he can move me to, to laugh or move me to, to tears, you know, in three to five verses, telling a complete story with characters that I invest in and care about, that is an innate talent that I don't know many artists have. Well, I, I'm sure you've you've taught your students this, but the more concise the writing, the more difficult it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, students don't get that. They're like, oh, you signed me a poem? Great. I'll do this in five minutes and I'll be finished. Oh, a short story? That's going to be a lot easier to write than a novel. And it's actually the opposite. It is, yeah. Um, you have to be able to, you know, in a short story, you have to be able to pack the same emotional punch in 20 pages that you would in, in 400 and then a poem is even more, or song lyrics, to be right. able to pull that off. Um, yeah, I guess it's easy for anyone to write song lyrics, but to write song lyrics that launch a movement like Margaritaville, 
uh, that take you to different time or place that it can open up your imagination. Um, that takes real talent. Yeah, no, it does. And you know, many of his best songs tell incredible stories. Um, the very best of his story songs, again, I, I believe, and a majority of music fans and music critics agree, is he went to Paris from the 1973 album A White Sport Coat and A Pink Crustacean. Buffett wrote this third-person narrative about a Spanish Civil War veteran and one-armed pianist that he had met named Eddie Bukowski. Uh, it was released as the album's final single. It didn't chart, but in recent years, it has become well-known, especially after Bob Dylan uh, named it as one of his favorites, and Buffett began to perform it live. Uh, with an unusual construction, the song opens and closes with the lines, he went to Paris looking for answers to questions that bothered him so. In between those lines are four long verses that chronicle a life of 86 years that saw war, love, music, tragedy, and world travels. With the subject finally, gratefully, and graciously telling Jimmy Buffett, Jimmy, some of it's magic, some of it's tragic, but I had a good life all the way. In an interview with Rolling Stone, uh, Buffett actually said that the song was, this is a quote, the song was actually about a guy I met in Chicago, and he was the cleanup guy at a club called The Quiet Night, where several prominent singer-songwriter careers were launched. He had one arm. And so he started telling me stories about his days fighting in the Spanish Civil War, and when he got wounded, he came back to Paris for his treatment. Uh, the song is more reflective of stories that Eddie told me. All they did was accentuate the history in the books that I was familiar with from Hemingway and Fitzgerald. That song was written actually in Chicago, of all places, and it was written based on the stories of Eddie. At that point, I don't believe I'd ever been to Paris. But you put all that stuff together, and you mix it like gumbo, was what Buffett said. Um, yeah, not many writers can claim the honor of having the legendary Bob Dylan as a fan. But in a 2011 interview with Bill Flanagan of the Huffington Post, when asked who some of his favorite songwriters were, Dylan gave a list. Buffett was first on that list. Hmm. He said, Buffett. And then he said, Lightfoot, Warren Zevin, uh, Randy Newman, John Prine, Guy Clark. He said, those are my kinds of writers. Wow. And when asked which Buffett songs he liked, as I said, Dylan replied, Death of an Unpopular Poet, and he went to Paris. Um, if, you know... I don't if, care if you've never won any awards. If you get praise like that from, from, Bob, from Dylan, Bob Dylan, that's be, all that matters. To be first on his list wow. as a favorite, yeah. I, it's You know, Jimmy Buffett was the real deal. And, yeah, he went to Paris. I mean, that song gets me every time. That song, if, if I surrender myself to that song I'm in tears by the end of it still after all these years but I'm including it here because you know those dreams of being a writer that they're still with me and they're they're fading as the years go by but they're, but they're still with me Buffett is kind of like my my post boy I mean here you have a man who anything he's ever wanted he has went out you know, despite what obstacles may be in his way, and he is just—he's—he's never—he's never quit. You know, he well, he never quit. Well, he's a work—he's a self-admitted workaholic. Yeah, and he literally—which isn't always a good thing. No, it's not. But you know, whatever he wanted in life, he reached out and he—he he, he claimed it. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, whether it's you know learning to fly, whether it is penning a, a Broadway musical, whether it is writing a novel. I mean, there's nothing, it, seemingly there was nothing that Buffett could not do. And, you know, I don't know that I can name anybody in any, you know, 
any profession that was so completely free, so motivated, so disciplined, and so well-rounded. I mean, he was just, this is a guy, you know, we often talk about, you know, the uncles and, you know, how they influenced us and inspired us. Of the three, only two of them are, I, I think I'd really enjoy sitting down over a drink and talking with them. And that would be Billy Joel and Jimmy Buffett. I love the boss. I don't know that a conversation with the boss would be moving in the way that it would be with the other sure. two. But Jimmy, and I love Billy Joel, don't get me wrong, but Jimmy Buffett is someone, I don't want to sit down with, you know, to, I don't want to sit down over a drink with Jimmy Buffett. I want to sit down with him for round after round. And I, the stories that he could tell if the music is any indication, I would never grow tired. I would never go home. That is the escape. You know, it's not just the island life. It is to sit down with Jimmy Buffett and hear his stories. And to me, that, that would there's no greater no greater gift I think I could ever be given. Well, that, you know, that's the ultimate irony of Jimmy Buffett, I think, is that I think he's promoting escapism. He's not, he's not supporting... Um, loaferism. I don't know the word I'm looking oh, for. Oh, no, not at all. Because no. cause most people, you know, when they listen to Jimmy Buffett, if they don't know a lot about his background, they imagine this guy that it was basically a beach bum his entire life and he made music and basically just, you know, kind of you know, apathetic to the world, just concerned about having a good time. Um, obviously, you cannot become a billion-dollar mogul by doing that. Correct. Um, this man worked really hard, and just like any great art... The amount of work that took to produce that, people just don't understand. Um, not just time and effort, uh, but emotional cost as well. And so when I listen to Buffett, I don't hear a philosophy of that. You know what? You should quit your job and become a beach bum. Because clearly that's not going to end well. Kind of like when Zach Brown says, you know, the, 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 well, they, don't, they don't care when you've run out of dinero. You know, right. It's time to go back home yeah, toes, yeah. because you have to make money to continue that lifestyle. Um, so he did not live that lifestyle. He was an extremely hard worker his entire life. So I don't view it as, hey, give up your life. I view it as make t sure you balance things out. Make sure you tame time to escape yeah. uh, and then return to, to your world. And, and it's that balance, really, that I think he stands for. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, my turn. Actually, let's do another shot. Oh, okay. I'm feeling sure. I'm, <laughs> the Patron is calling my name. It's right, time for another right, shot right. of tequila here. Yeah, this is. Uh, I thought this might be a shorter episode because uh, we didn't have as much time to prepare. But it looks like it might be the opposite. Well, when you're talking from you know personal personal experience and speaking from the heart, it's never. I don't know that we'll ever run out of things to say. But All right, here we go. go Cheers. Ahead. Cheers. Ah, uh, all right. Okay. My, we'll have to get a, a refill our margaritas here <laughs> later as well. Yeah. Whew. All right, my next uh, my next pick is grapefruit juicy fruit. Uh, also from from nineteen seventy three is a white sport coat and pink crustacean. Great. 
juicy fruit Wash away the night It's one of the first Buffett songs that won my heart. Like many Gen Xers, my first introduction to Buffett was the greatest hits compilation songs you know by heart. And um, all of these selections are classics, but but this this one won me over, I think, before all the other ones. Maybe maybe uh, Pirate Looks at 40 was first. This may have been second. And so many of Buffett's songs ache nostalgic for younger times. Uh, in this case, it's the now all but extinct drive-in movie theater. Right. Uh, and taking a girl to said theater. And in Buffett's case, it's mixing purple passions with a girl at the drive-in theater. <laughs> where the popcorn is salty. He said, quote, the popcorn salty and the beer is cold. Um, this is another one of his descriptive songs. It is, yeah. Uh, he's not telling a story. Uh, this isn't a party song. Uh, he is he's reflecting or, or, or describing a time and place. And you can practically hear the sound playing in the movie sound playing from those those tinny speakers connected to your car the smell of hot dogs uh, the, the taste of that sugary juicy fruit gum right musically it shows that Buffett was was destined to be more than just another failed musical artist this is where that <clears throat> that switch happens right when he goes to Key West and he develops his own own genre and as this song develops it, it, move, it, it moves from this kind of acoustic country number. It starts very traditionally, uh, of course, accompanied by a Hawaiian slide guitar. Right, yeah. Um, to an almost straight-out jazz number. And if you don't believe me, I, I say this to people, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Just listen to the bridge chords and listen to the guitar solo uh-huh. if you're not convinced that this is a jazz song. Oh, yeah. Song. You know, it gets so damn lonely when you're on the plane alone. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. It is. Oh, it's it's right out of the you know the handbook. I mean, it's it's... Jazz one yes. yeah. and and but but somewhat disguised so and especially you know lyrically and so th- this is back in seventy three this isn't like Banana Wind he decides to incorporate a little bit of jazz in his music so you can tell just from the very beginning and this is probably why Nashville rejected him right because oh. he was so much more than just just a country artist um, but I just I, I just wanted to kind of point out that from the very beginning um, he's experimenting with these different genres and these hybrids. Um, so maybe it's just it was the nostalgic of the lyrics that drew me in quickly for the song. Um, maybe it was musically because I'm a music first guy and I really appreciated that in the arrangement, the jazzy arrangement. But it didn't make me nostalgic necessarily for drive-ins specifically. Um, when we were teenagers, drive-ins there were still a few, but it wasn't common like it was in the '70s right. and, and, and prior to that. We still have four in the area. Yeah, yeah. yes, we do. They we do. Go, we're lucky. We're very lucky because most of America is they're obsolete. I but. can't recall that. Did we even ever go to a drive-in? I don't recall ever going to a drive-in. Yeah movie with, with with friends i with mean friends. With our parents when we were little with focused. the parents yeah. and i mean I, gail and i have gone a few times but no i don't remember us like a group of us going to I, ever no i don't i yeah so it's not it's not that specifically but it's still this song to me 
um, stands for those those hot summer nights mm-hmm. when you kind of take a break from running around with all the guys. Well, maybe not you after what you just said. So. <laughs> Taking a break from running out with the guys and, and spending one night, one evening alone um, with a date. Yeah. Those were special times. Of course, when said friends find out you're going on such date. That was not a drive-in. It was not a drive-in. <laughs> and, and sit behind you and, and throw popcorn at you and your date for the entire evening, which did happen. I don't have the um, slightest memory of April, what you're talking April about. April 20th. 1991, because Ouch. that date became Ouch. my wife. <laughs> uh, it, I couldn't even get a, get a night away from the guys, but no, it was fun. If, and, it, well, if it was any constellation, it wasn't a great movie you were missing. It was not. It was Mortal <laughs> Thoughts with, uh, with Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis and, and Demi, Demi Moore. Moore. Yeah, you, you weren't missing a whole you lot on the screen. Miss a whole lot. Um, had you went to the drive end, <laughs> the candy would not have hit you. It would have hit. hit it would have hit the back window, and you probably would have all would have been good. Shook the car or whatever. Well, possibly. Yeah. But but that's why I like this song so much. Just musically, it's just right there, and just all that nostalgia. And and when Buffett's writing this song, it, it I think it's still nostalgic, but it's, it's very very close because you know he's in his mid twenties when he's writing this, and so I'm sure uh, it hasn't been long since he was taking girls to drive in the. Maybe he still was at that point, but. Uh, it still feels nostalgic to me yeah. for a time when, you know, a hot summer night as a teenager, that's all the possibilities in the world. I mean, that's Thunder Road. That's yeah. that's every single, any direction you look, there's your future. Go get it. And I think that's why people uh, are drawn to those times. Things are much simpler, right, in the yeah. grapefruit, juicy fruit days. You're, you're not concerned about paying bills. You're not concerned about putting money away in a 401k. You're just concerned about, um, you know, the young lady next to you and the, and the movie and whatever the, might, the night might bring. Yeah. You know, I don't know why, but Grapefruit Juicy Fruit, I always seem to pair that in my mind with Honeydew. The two songs, well, I that's think... that's very jazzy, too. Yeah, the two songs are very close in, in construction, and they're wildly different. I mean, they're almost polar opposite in, you know, lyrically. In fact, Honeydew is more of like almost a oh, big band staple yeah. kind of jazz. It's, yeah, it, it is. It's very jazz. And he has had, I mean, you know, he has covers of like, you know, slow boat to China. I mean, sure, he's he's sure. done he's done the big man thing, um, but yeah, I I don't know why I always kind of pair those two together, and, and you're right, grapefruit juicy fruit is a jazz song, but those song, two songs back to back, I mean, it, it's very, I don't know, they're strikingly similar. You know, speaking of you know throwing you know popcorn and candy at you at the at the movie <laughs> we were really kind of awful to each other at times cuz i oh. you you brought that up and immediately i thought of the unexpected party when tad had his date with susan <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right real quick in context a friend of, a friend of ours was going to spend an evening with a, with a with a I guess it was his girlfriend at the time. Well, I I think it was their first date. Maybe? It might have been. I, yeah, I he don't made know. the mistake of of telling us about it. Yeah, you never told us <laughs> where you were going to go and who you were going to be with if you were going on a date. And, and it, we were awful. We were horrible his, people. His dad was was gone, so he had the house to himself, and he was just going to, like I say, uh, entertain this this young lady. And uh, and we did we wasted no time in, in planning. Uh, oh, we called on everybody. We um, we pulled inspiration from Tolkien, and uh, we showed up uh, one by one. I think every ten minutes, we waited outside in the driveway, and every ten minutes, we we walked in and said, "Hey, I heard there's a party." <laughs> and at first, he was very accommodating, uh, trying to get rid of us, of course. But as more and more people showed up, uh, it did become a party. So <laughs> yeah, we we threw a party at his house on his date night. So yeah. you're right; it wasn't just me. We, we no, attacked anybody. We, we did. Maybe uh, maybe I should be maybe I should be you know grateful I didn't have a girlfriend during these years because. Um, 
you know, nobody ever had anything on me. In that and the shame time. of the matter is, I know I always had my video camera with me, and I know I, I recorded that evening and, and many other adventures, but oh, yeah. God knows what happened to those tapes. Oh, I wish we could get some of those tapes back. <laughs> when, there were so many memories that I, I feel are lost forever. Um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Our, our listeners our <laughs> listeners don't know Tad from, well, I'm you sorry. Know, from if, Adam. If, but if it's, you have a best friend that's, that's worth their salt uh, for 30, 40 years, uh, you have, you've had good times, and then you had times where you were on the outs. That's just part of any relationship, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. But that, and that wasn't even one of those times, obviously. No. Uh, obviously, I was a little annoyed at the time, but, uh, but it was all in good fun. Didn't, you know, as a sidebar, and I should ask Tad about this, but didn't Susan, like, wake up to like burnt grass and it uh, no she, there was a dead bird outside oh, it was a dead bird and okay. she was convinced that we killed the bird and put it there to send a message yeah. to her yeah. something really weird it was really bizarre so tad you're welcome we, sa- we saved you from a life with susan because she was <laughs> she wasn't all there uh anyway <laughs> so watch she's probably listening she, yeah she might be one of our listeners i'm sorry susan <laughs> but we didn't kill the bird we did not kill the bird all right uh my next song this one is a tune that very few people know unless they are a parrot head. It comes from one of my favorite albums by Jimmy Buffett, Coconut Telegraph, in 1981. That album, you know, as a, just as an aside, it's one of the greats. There is not, there's no filler on that album. Every song is, is just incredible. Um, in fact, I may even argue that it, it could be one of his, or, or maybe his very best album. It's right there in the it, you know the beginning of the eighties. He's sure. at his peak. Um, I don't know. I I never get tired of it. The the song I chose is "Growing Older But Not Up." Yes. I rounded first, never thought of the worst. As I studied the shortstop's position, crack with my leg like the shell of an egg. Someone call a decent physician I know Pete Rowe I can't pretend Though my mind is quite flexible These brittle bones don't bend I'm growing older but not up My metabolic rate is pleasantly stuck Let the It is a tune that is just, it has spoken to me on so many levels. This one might take a while because there, there are a few stories to tell. Well, and you're probably going to say this, but there's a quote from this song that's been, been thrown around social oh, media yeah. the last couple of days. Very much yeah. so, yeah. Um, let, let me begin by drawing a parallel. In, in 2018, Jimmy Buffett went to see Springsteen on Broadway, okay? And... You know, Springsteen on Broadway, I mean, that, that was when ushers doubled as military snipers. <laughs> they were ready to do whatever was necessary to shut down phone usage or, or singing along. Um, it, was, it was a very un-boss-like You can see production. it on Netflix. It's, it's yeah, on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the boss, I mean, with this blue-collar tradition, I mean, it, it was a very... It was it, a grown-up Springsteen. It was, it, yeah, <laughs> very much so, you know? And, you know, on stage... The boss, whose working class anthems made him rich, he revealed that he had never in his life been inside a factory. Now, that's an easy thing to admit to people who paid up to $850 for a seat, (laughs) okay? I think most of his 
audience and on you know on Broadway probably assumed the factory thing was a metaphor anyway. But hearing Springsteen's admission kind of gave Buffett pause because that in a coconut shell kind of reminded Buffett of a problem he now faced himself. It was a question of authenticity because for a long time, Jimmy Buffett was not really Jimmy Buffett anymore. You know, he hadn't been for a while. Uh, the nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake, getting drunk and screwing five o'clock somewhere Jimmy Buffett was replaced with a well-preserved businessman who was leveraging the Jimmy Buffett of yore in order to keep the Jimmy Buffett of now in the manner to which the old Jimmy Buffett never dreamed that he could become accustomed, you know? And herein lay the Margaritaville Mesquite Barbecue Rub. <laughs> the, the more successful you become at selling the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle, the less you are seen as believably living the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle. Yeah, but Stephen Crane also never fought in the Civil War, and he wrote one of the most authentic Civil War Given. Novels of all time. And I'm so. I'm not condemning. Right. I'm not condemning Buffett for any of this. You know, um, you know the chasm between the two Jimmy Buffets. I, when did it become so deep? You know, it, I don't know. Probably it was around the the first time that Buffett put the Margaritaville name on a salt shaker shaped pool raft labeled Lost Shaker of Salt. You know, or when he went all in on a brand partnership to sell a four hundred ninety nine dollar Tahiti frozen concoction maker. Um. Or when he signed off on the emblazement of I'm the woman to blame across a Tervis tumbler, you know. But, you know, Buffett was no longer Buffett, but at one time he was. And most of his songs that he's famous for, you know, Buffett really didn't sing often about love. I mean, it's 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 there. He has love songs. But, you know, most of his, his hits, they're seemingly simple songs about how we spend our lives. Mm -hmm. And if you listen closer... You know, a song like A Pirate Looks at 40 is about a midlife crisis wherein a man's skills become obsolete before he's ready to retire. You know, I've been drunk now for over two weeks. Seems like a party lyric, but it's not. It's a, it's a crushing one. Cheeseburger in Paradise, you know, which he wrote after a precarious sailing trip about a cheeseburger, plain and simple, with a euphoric bridge that is just a list of condiments that he loves designed to have the audience shout them out, you know. Uh, with him. I mean, is there a more autobiographical artist than Buffett? No. no. I mean, even when he's not being autobiographical, he's being autobiographical. Exactly. If that yeah. makes sense. And, you know, it, it begs the question, you know, where are our simple pleasures now? You know, why has everything become so complicated? Why is life filled with so many things that we don't want and so few things that we do? And then you take a song like It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. Now, Buffett did not write that song, okay? In fact, arguably, it's not even his song. He, he, it's a duet, sure, but it, it's not a pure duet because it's Alan Jackson featuring right. Jimmy Buffett. Um, but that one's a real heartbreaker, you know, and Buffett has adopted it as, as his own. You know, you take away the jaunty island beat and you find a song about a man who is so miserable that he can't bring himself to return to work from his lunch break. I'm getting paid by the hour, older by the minute. My boss just pushed me over the limit. I mean, the guy hasn't taken a vacation in a year. And he knows that there'll be consequences tomorrow, but he, he doesn't give a damn. You know, he, he can't face it for another afternoon, so just keep pouring those mark, no, not margaritas, keep pouring those hurricanes. Forgot what song I'm on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> New Orleans thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that any pop star has identified this particular strain of existential crisis better than Jimmy Buffett. You know, he has been a, a dedicated balladeer for the TGIF class for 50 years. And... You know, he can you name an artist? I mean, Springsteen, yes, but but not at the same level. 
Can you can you name any artist who has been such a folk hero of workday boredom and nine to five drudgery? You know, no, no, other, no, other than yeah. Buffett, you right, know, right. the knowledge that if we allow ourselves to think hard enough about our lives, we'll realize that they are spent in service of making someone else rich, while we merely scrape by. You know that that was that was Buffett's message. You know, um, Buffett may have been rich, but he wasn't always. He grappled with dark thoughts about time and existence. He saw. He saw from the stage what we had too, so he gave language to it. And there has to be something more to this, you know, that, that was his thought. There has to be a way to exist that isn't quite so compromised. You know, the ocean is so far away, but a t-shirt that says no shoes, no shirt, no problem, that you can take home with you. Buffett actually began his Margaritaville brand, his business model, in earnest and for the fans. That's why, you know, you can't condemn him for any of this. In interviews, he confessed that the Jimmy Buffett brand was created when he realized the level of devotion among his fans. Because he said he began asking himself how he could serve his acolytes better. You know, what what could he do to make sure that even after he left town at the end of the concert, they could still have the island getaway that they so longed for. And, you know, on your way to your burdensome job, he thought you could listen to, you know, Buffett and, and the musicians that he endorses. You know, you could be stuck in traffic and listening to a Sirius XM Radio Margaritaville station. After work, you can bring Caribbean flavor to your kitchen with Margaritaville jam and jerk shrimp, but, you know, skillet ready in minutes. You can relax afterward by mixing up a batch of Margaritaville margarita mix, you know, in lime or mango flavors because 9 a.m., well, it's going to come soon enough, you know. And then finally, it's Friday. No more working for the man. So crack open a land shark lager. You know, everything that he did, I genuinely believe he did in earnest for the fans. He was trying to give them a simulated island life. It was an escape that could be found every day, all day. You know, and and I don't know. It's like when people ask him, where is Margaritaville, right? And he said, right in your mind. It's not a a real place. It's not based on an actual place. Exactly. It's a state of mind. Yeah, and... You know, you blow out the birthday candles, right? One more every year and wonder what it's all for. One day your cardiologist says to maybe ease up on all those cheeseburgers, you know? And you're just about done working for the man. So if you're 55 and better, you can move into Latitude Margaritaville, which is an adult living community in partnership. (laughs) Somehow that sounds like an onion. Right. It's not. (laughs) It really does. But you can move into one of his, you know, senior living communities. Uh, Latitude Margaritaville is the one in Daytona Beach, but he has several of them around the country. You know, life, I guess, there can be a never-ending stay in Margaritaville with yoga classes and quote-unquote fantastic dining, you know? It actually sounds pretty appealing. <laughs> it does, yeah. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm all in. Um, I don't know. Buffett, really, he gave his fans a path to daily island life, and in the course of it, he became very rich, okay? Um, he was so rich that he did a 23andMe DNA test with Warren Buffett, Interesting. Yeah, because in addition to sharing a last name, the mutual ability to, to, to sustain such mind-boggling wealth is so otherworldly that the two of them thought it could be the result of some you know extremely rare and fortunate genetic mutation. <laughs> so the test showed, you ready for this? No biological relationship. No biological. No. Oh, okay. But they stayed friends. Jimmy called Warren Uncle Warren, and Warren, who had been a business mentor to, to Jimmy, called him Cousin Jimmy. So... In truth, Jimmy Buffett grew up. He did. But it wasn't always that way. And on this track from one particular harbor, Buffett conceded 
at the time that he was growing older but not up. And at the time he spoke the truth. I'm growing older but not up. My metabolic rate is pleasantly stuck. Let those winds of time blow over my head. I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. Now that's the line you're talking mm-hmm, about. Sure. It's all over social media right now. Right. You know, the older I get, the more strongly these lyrics resonate with me. I, I thought I understood the song at age 30. <laughs> then I turned 40, you know, and I realized how much my younger self did not yet understand. Now I'm 50 and with a number of health concerns and I get it even more. I, I, you know, I've now reached the age when sleeping with the wrong pillow feels like I fell out of a 20-story building, right? How my back goes out more than I do these days. And, and the last time, you know, last time I listened to it was uh, prior to, to preparing for the, you know, the, the podcast episode. You know, I, I felt, again, I fully understand this. You know, my mind thinks it's 30. My body feels 70, right? But then I was listening to it in preparation for the, the podcast, and man, it, it takes on an entirely different meaning, you know, after his passing, right? Um, I don't know. I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. That that line, I I, I feel like I really understood it from the get go, though. Uh, ever since Kevin, Kevin, we have to give props to Kevin. I know we've fallen fallen out. We don't. You know, we're not in touch anymore. But Kevin was the one. I don't know about you. He was the one that first introduced me to Buffett. Kevin's a friend of ours from high school, by right? The way. Yeah, yeah. He he. You know, he introduced me to Buffett the summer after our junior year of high mm-hmm. school. And although I'll admit that listening to the song, you know, prepared preparing for my notes for the episode, that lyric, you know, it stayed with me. Um, I'm growing older, but not up. I think it may have been one of the first non non-box set out box set songs mm, that, gotcha. that, that I really yep. that really moved me that I that I was just attached to and there are a couple of reasons why um, first of all um, I love the track because it reminds me of my dad now dad passed away a year ago in fact Friday this coming Friday will be the one year anniversary of his passing um, it's hard to believe that a year has already passed since dad died but Dad was a huge baseball fan, and the opening of this song conjures images of him that I can't shake. Uh, the song actually, the, the first verse goes, I, I rounded first, never thought of the worst, as I studied the shortstop's position. Crack went my leg like the shell of an egg, someone call a decent physician. I'm no Pete Rose, I can't pretend. While my mind is quite flexible, these brittle bones don't bend. Now, the song was written back in the days when Pete Rose was still known as Charlie Hustle. And no matter how old Pete Rose got, he never lost his zip or his drive, his hustle. You know, Rose never walked from home plate to first base. Whether he got a home run, a base hit, bunted, walked, or was hit by a pitch, Rose would run full speed to first base. And like my dad, I grew up a Cleveland sports fan. You know, and like dad, baseball remains my favorite sport. It's the only one I, I really closely follow anymore. For years, my dad had season tickets to the Indians at the Old Municipal Stadium. Okay, And of course, back then, the team practically paid you to attend the games. <laughs> they needed attendance. They had none. Um, and, you know, I still recall my dad's stories, especially about 10 Cent Beer Night hmm, in 74. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he, he was there. Okay. Now, for those that don't know, the promotion was meant to improve attendance at a game at the game by offering cups of beer for just 10 cents each, which would have been uh, the equivalent today 
of just 59 cents a cup. Okay. So imagine going, you know, to progressive field. Just dollar Fif- beers. Yeah. I mean, that would be. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Right. But 59 cents for a, you know, a 12 ounce uh, cup of beer. Um, there, I, I guess he, he told me there was a limit of six beers per purchase, but there was no limit on the number of purchases made during the game. Okay. So six days earlier, the Indians and the Rangers have been involved in a widely publicized bench clearing brawl. And understandably, Tencent Beer Night drew a rowdy and belligerent crowd of Cleveland fans. As the game proceeded, on-field incidents and massive alcohol consumption further triggered the audience, many of whom threw lit firecrackers, streaked across the playing field. Who brought firecrackers into a baseball game? I don't know, but they did. And, um, you know, they were openly smoking, you know, pot. I mean, it was just a free-for-all. I mean, it was it was like the worst, worst you know audience at at you know an outdoor concert venue if you if you would. Most sober fans departed early, leaving an increasingly drunken unruly mob behind. Uh, continued degradation of the game eventually ended in a riot in the ninth inning when fans rushed the field. Players were forced to protect themselves with baseball bats while retreating from the field. And Chief Umpire Nestor Chilak declared the game to be forfeited in Texas's favor due to the mob's uncontrollable behavior. My dad stayed to the end of that game. He was not one of the drunken mob. And he left pissed that the Indians recorded yet another loss, which is the last thing the Indians needed. <laughs> okay. But Dad, you know, he was a fan of Pete Rose, and he was always upset that Rose was banned from the Hall of Fame. I can remember him teaching me about baseball as he proudly showed me his baseball card collection. That was a big thing for my father. And when he showed me his Rose cards, he often spoke of Rose with nothing but admiration. But wait, there's more. Because Dad played softball for years, okay? And one summer, as he was rounding first, his, his heel landed poorly on the edge of the bag at first base, and he went down with a painful howl that I still can hear, you know, in, in my memories. He tore his Achilles. Luckily, a decent physician played right field. Okay. So, you know, this song, not only does it become more meaningful to me with each passing year as I grow older, but it's that connection, the connections to my dad. It, it, this song has just always been very special to me. And, you know, if I make it to age 60, knock on wood, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll resonate with me in ways I can't possibly understand today at age 50. But already at age 50, it sometimes takes all I have to carry groceries from the car into the house, you know. Grunting and groaning is followed by a lot of phew as I set the, the sacks on the kitchen counter. So, as I said, my mind thinks it's 30. My body is pushing 50. How long before I tear my Achilles? You know, the song makes me wonder with every listen. So, I had to include this one. Yeah, no, it's a great song. And, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a bumper sticker philosophy, but it's still, that doesn't change the fact that it's a great phrase. You know, it's a oh, great... Yeah. Uh, Mantra to live by. I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. Yep. Absolutely. All right. My next uh, song is one that uh, I think you had on your original list, as did I, and then you dropped it, so I picked it up. It's kind of like a, a draft waiver system here <laughs> when we pick our songs. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, it's Jolly Monsing from 1985's Last Mango in Paris. There is a tale that the island people tell Don't care if it is true, cause I love it so well Jolly man sing for his supper every night The people fed him well, cause he treated them so right Oh, 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 
Jalaman Singh. Near and far, he always found his way by a Ryan Lucky Star. He told them of their joys, he told them of their woes. They'd love to see him come, they'd hate to see him go. Oh, 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 Jolly Mon Sing. Buffett, as we already mentioned, kind of started leaning into his country roots a little more during the mid-80s. Riddles in the Sand, and there were a few, a few records there, Florida Days, um, that, that were a little heavier on the countryside. Yeah. And Last Mango in Paris continues the trend to, to some extent. There are still tropical tracks, though, uh, to remind fans that Buffett isn't wandering too far from the beach. Jolly Mon is such a fun song that tells the story of this joyous island man who delighted people with his songs. In an effort to, to help what appeared to be a boat in distress, he's taken over by pirates, tossed overboard to drown. But luckily for Jolimon, a local dolphin also dug his tunes and carries him safely to the shore. I suppose you could say the song is all about karma, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, my wife and I always enjoyed singing this. Um, like you already mentioned, we, we made our road trip uh, mixtape and we head to the coast. Um, this was one that was on it with Bronner Soup and uh, many others. And, you know, we would just sing it, sing it aloud when driving down the highway. And when my kids came along, it became a favorite of, of theirs as well. And, yep. and I, made, I remember making these little mixtapes for my kids when they'd go to bed and so they could listen to music while they fell asleep. And I would put in songs like, um, like Yellow Submarine and, and, and Rock Lobster. Yep. Uh, I also in, included Jolly Mon. So they became um, fans of the song and would sing along with us as well. Um, it, it's just this Calypso style with Caribbean backing vocals that instantly transport the listener to this magical world in the tropics. Um, Buffett later explained on, uh, on this expanded on the story. You already mentioned this. He expanded on the story when he and Savannah, uh, his daughter, decided to write a children's book that also included a, a cassette or a CD as well. And I haven't read the book. It's, this, it was 1988, so yeah. it was available when my kids were young, but somehow it didn't cross my path or I would have purchased it and I, read it to my kids. I have a copy of it. Have you? Yeah. So did, did, does it expand significantly on the yeah. original story? Yeah, it's, it's prose, and it, it expands. I mean, the, the full story is there, but it's, yeah, it, it's much, you know, it, it, it's lengthier. Um, it, it was a favorite book of my both of the boys growing up. I used to, you know, I made a habit of any any songs that I loved that were turned into storybooks, picture books, I purchased them. Like at the zoo, Paul Simon's at the, at the zoo. zoo. Is another one, yep. Imagined by John Lennon. There were right. there were a lot of them. Um, I'd say it's probably a good fourth, one-fourth of, of the kids' books that we still have that we purchased when they were young were in many ways in, in you know inspired by music. Um, Joe and Ben, like you, I, ma- I made the mixed CDs. I, I'm pretty sure I had made the, the leap to mixed CDs at that point. The, the cassettes were probably over by then, but um, I, I made the mixed CDs for my for both of my boys, and, you know, Jolly Mom was always on it. It was a favorite of theirs as well. That's why I had it on my list for the longest time before I, I cut it. Um, in fact, th- there were three. The kids loved Volcano, they loved Cheeseburger, and they loved Jolly Mom. And, you know, they became... They became parakeets. That was the, that, parakeets. That, that was the name that Buffett gave to his youngest fans. Where he, in fact, he actually came out with a CD called the Parakeet Album, hmm. um, where he re-recorded a lot of the 
the kid friendly sure. songs, you know. Um, so why don't we get drunk? Wasn't one of them? No, that was not yeah. one. Although he has at times rephrased that song as "Why don't we eat lunch at school?" I don't oh. know. I don't know. Yeah, if yeah. Have, no, I remember. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know if you ever heard him perform it live in that way. Well, he even changed the name on later late uh, live albums like "Feeding Frenzy," right? Uh, yeah. Love song from a different point of point view. Point of view. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no. Ben and Joe were huge, huge parrot heads. We, uh, in fact, we took them to their first Buffett concert when Joel was seven and Ben was four. In fact, we have pictures of Joel. He was dancing with all the girls, you know, in grass skirts all around us. And they, they thought he was adorable. So he has all these pictures, you know, this four, it's this, no, sorry, seven-year-old. Ben was the one who was four. You know, this seven-year-old flirting with all these older, you know, 20-somethings in grass skirts, kind of comical. But yeah, I almost, you know, I was, I had Jolly one on my list and I, I texted you and said, I'm, I'm going to cut it. And, I'm so relieved that you included it because it's very special to our family as well. Yeah, and so this is one of his, his story songs, but but it's also just a, a fun song. It you is. Know? I yeah. mean, just to have a song that everybody knows, at least everybody in my family knows, that when it comes on, we can just have fun. Um, yeah. That's, that's invaluable, you know. Um, so Last Mingo in Paris is a solid record, by the way. Um, and I do include another track. It's, it's interesting. After I chose my 12, I went through to, to look and see what kind of balance I had in this discography, right? Yeah. And clearly there are some, obviously, with 30 albums. There are a lot of albums we never even touch. But there are a couple where I where I choose duplicate songs. Yeah, I did as well. You know, if, and again, if this weren't a legacy you know, tribute, you know, the, the song list would be very different because it'd be more representative of sure, his yeah, entire yeah. career. One song from Last Mango I definitely would have included under different contexts would have been Gypsies in the Palace. Mm-hmm. Love that song, you know? But, yeah, no, I, it's, it is. It's a solid album. Um, and, yeah, thank you for including Joel. Oh, that, was, that was an easy one. All right, my number five. I'm not going to go as long this time, I promise. I'm looking at the time. That's okay. We're, we're about halfway through, and we're already past the average uh, length of an yeah, episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, you know, I, I had a feeling that was going to happen, though, but... My next one is the title track from the 1978 album Son of a Son of a Sailor. As the son of a son of a sailor I went out on the sea for adventure Expanding the view of the captain and crew Like a man just released from indenture As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I have chalked up many a mile Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks And I learned much both of their style Son of a son, son of a son Son of a son of a sailor Son of a god Load the last time One step ahead of the jailer Jimmy Buffett, he wrote some great songs about partying. No doubt. But he also penned some of the most incredible odes to the sea that have ever been written. And Son of a Son of a Sailor falls into that latter category with lyrics about a man who was born a sailor and will die a sailor and struggles to get by the whole time, you know, learning to appreciate the little things in life along the way. It's the ultimate tale of maritime wanderlust, really. And there are geographical references to Trinidad, a grocery aisle's worth of allusions to Caribbean delicacies, chief among them are rum, uh, and, and enough sailing jargon to fill a manual, frankly. But the song is defined by its honest-to-goodness faith in the unknown. He's, you know, Buffett sings, when it all ends, 
where rather where it all ends, I can't fathom, my friends. Um, you know, he admits near the end before dropping one of the best payoff lines of his entire catalog. I'm just glad I don't live in a trailer. <laughs> it's one of the greatest. I mean, really, we we haven't talked a lot about Buffett's humor, but I mean, he was. Oh, his songs are so infused with comedic elements. It's it's fantastic. Now, Buffett wrote this song about his grandfather, James Delaney Buffett, who was a huge influence on his life. And, and Buffett's grandfather was a sailor born in the town of Rose Blanche in Newfoundland, Canada, later moving to Glace Bay in Nova Scotia and eventually settling in Mobile, Alabama. His death in 1970 also inspired Buffett's early tune, The Captain and the Kid. Um, this was, you know, and, and it shares... Uh, you know, it's in direct relation to my last pick. This was the only song Jimmy Buffett ever performed in his only appearance on Saturday Night Live really? in 1978. Huh. He had to do it sitting down with his leg propped up in a cast. because oh, he had broken his leg. Because he'd broken yeah. his leg in a softball game earlier that week. Yeah. Yeah. I th- in fact, I think the uh, famous concert um, album, Wish You Were Here, is also, he's also on uh, oh, a cast. Is he that. a cast now? Because he makes several references to, okay. to his cast. Yeah. Um, oh, what a great double album that it is. It is. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's the the live recording. I love the studio version, but the live recording of God's Own Drunk. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of songs, deep tracks on there that didn't make any of the greatest oh, yeah. compilations. Yeah. Just great. Yeah. Um, you know, Buffett said of Son of a Son of a Sailor, he said, I saw a picture of my grandfather after he had come back from a trip to Nova Scotia. He was born there, but left when he was a young man, and he didn't return until he was 84. He was standing on dock, staring at an old sailing schooner, and the look on his face told the story of where he had come from and where he had been. Buffett said, I have always been very proud of my heritage as a sailor, and I wrote this for the men who taught me the skills. Now, in, in the lyrics, Buffett claims to have read dozens of books about heroes and crooks, and he says that he, he learned much from both of their styles. And according, That's a great line, by the way. It is, yeah. Um, you know, the, Buffett grew up, I mean, Jimmy grew up reading the classics, you know, on the insistence of his mother. He was very well read. One novel that stood out to him from a very young age was Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And, you know, you see all of that in his songwriting, you know. It, it just, it, it's a proven fact. The more you read, the better writer you become, you know. And, and Buffett was always reading um son of a son of a sailor you know it was buffett's highest charting album of the 70s it peaked at number 10 uh in the u.s on the billboard top 200 um but this song you know my family is not uh you know they do not have a history of sailing i don't know that my dad was ever on a boat in his life but this song is very it speaks to me you know as a multi-generational study of what gets passed on to our children. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. Captain and the Kid is very special to me. It reminds me of my grandfather. And Dad now, of course, has passed as well. People used to always joke. And, and sometimes it was a compliment. Sometimes it was not a compliment that my dad was his father. <laughs> I'm starting to hear from Joe and Ben and from my wife that I am my father. Um I'm taking that with a grain of salt. Some of that is very flattering. Some of that is not at all what I want to hear. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, it, it. I do start to see more of my father, some of his traits in things that I do every day. And it's, 
you know, it, when when I catch myself, you know, acting or saying or joking in a way that he would, you know, it, it's kind of it's. I don't know. It, it it just gives me that feeling that he's still here, you know, and it's one of those things that I'm, you know, I'm now very cognizant of what I'm passing on to to my boys and wondering, you know, what's going to stick. It's like throwing everything against the wall and just seeing what what lands, you know. But the multi-generational, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just just that there's like a kind of a thread that's being passed down. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean it it's it's something that I think is so important. And I don't know that we often pay a whole lot of attention to it until later in life. Sure. And it's something that, that, I, that it's very regretful on my part anyway, because I, w- you know, I think to myself when dad was in, you know, assisted living and then w- when he went into nursing care, I, I was with him a lot of the time. But I think of all the days that I could have been with him, you know, driving home from work, I would drive right by, you know, uh, Canton Regency where he was in assisted living and I wouldn't stop, you know, I'd, I'd head home. And those are days you can't get back. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, lesson learned, I really, now with, with my kids, every second, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give up, you know, time with them for, for anything in the world. It's just one of those songs that, that really kind of speaks to me on that level. So, I don't know. I, I it was not on my list originally. I replaced another song uh, just at the last minute with "Son of a Son of a Sailor," but "Son of a Son of a Sailor" is also so Buffett. That's one of the big eight. Yeah, it's one of the big eight, and it's uh, I mean, it is probably the most autobiographical song in his collection. So it's fitting. I just thought I'd throw it in there. Excellent. It's hard to believe it's been over almost a year. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. This Friday coming up wow which usually I can't say because we record episodes ahead of time ahead right, of time right, right, right. this one is yeah. this one's weird we're recording it and it, it, we're, we're, we're dropping, dropping it tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so just to be timely after and, and we're drinking death. and well, we're drinking on the episode we yeah. record so we'll see how this yeah, goes I feel like I'm already like <laughs> I don't know well feel like maybe I'm, we should back off the margaritas a little bit no 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 <laughs> your All turn right, our next my next one um this is definitely in my top five also. Uh, might be number one. I don't know. Number one or number two of my favorite Buffett songs of all time. And that is One Particular Harp. This is the ultimate tropical song. Okay, this this is this is Jimmy Buffett, right? In one four-minute song, Buffett doesn't hold back on the arrangement. This one, kind of as opposed to a lot of the really crisp, scaled-back um, arrangements that I like in some of his songs, this is the complete opposite. This rivals the the, the Phil Spector wall of sound with all of its layers of percussion and instruments and and Polynesian backing vocals. Um, it starts with the chorus, 
And that's where you, you hear the, the Polynesian, um, I'm not sure the actual language um, that yeah, they're, they're sure. singing. Uh, but um, uh, then it kind of floats quietly. You know, it starts with this, this almost a, a chant-like singing, and then floats to this quiet, mellow simplicity for the first verse. And then after that, there's a sudden kick that goes into the pre-chorus where Buffett waxes poetic about his experiences sailing the world, followed by a steel drum interlude. Um, now, let me stop here real fast because I need to ask you something. Okay. Am I the only one? Because I've looked this up online. I cannot. You can find anything online. I cannot find anything about this. And I'm not, you know, a, a skilled musician. I'm not a music major. I'm not a music theorist. But... Is no one else bothered by the bum note that's hit on the steel drum during this section of the song? <laughs> it, it, if you listen to it, there are two phrases, and on the second phrase, or there are more than two, but in the second phrase of this little steel drum section, the player clearly hits a bum note. Yeah, yeah, he does. And, 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 and did they just say that, okay, that's good enough? Like, weren't they all sitting around the studio during the playback, and someone just said, hey... Joe, uh, you you know you you muffed that one up. Let's let's redo it. Let's redo that section of the song. Nobody thought to do that. Well, maybe like us, they were drinking a good deal of I margaritas. Guess, I day. guess they must <laughs> day. have. But, I, uh, uh, yeah. Even the next morning, <laughs> they say, "Wait a minute." <laughs> anyway, um, moving on. The, from that point on, the song keeps building and building. Um, from to the last chorus, the eventual fade out. Um, it just keeps layering. I mean, the amount of percussion instruments that are going on at the same time. Um, and you don't even realize it because they're working so well together. But if you really listen carefully, there's just so much stuff going on. And um, it, it leaves the, the listener feeling as if they just returned from a week vacation sailing the Hawaiian Islands. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode. There is a video for the song. And I can't even find it on YouTube, but probably for good reason. Let's just say the, the record company's um, promotional budget didn't didn't extend too much into the video category because <laughs> I've only seen it once and and it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, you you mentioned it because um, one particular harbor is a song that we've used in the past, and you, I remember you mentioned it at the time. I've never seen the video, so yeah, yeah. Um, I believe it, it was on a set of a Mel Gibson movie, um, and they used the same crew um, when the movie had taken a break um, shooting and. I, they tried to incorporate this thematic short film with yeah, it just didn't work. Yeah, but one particular harbor, yeah, that's that's the one. If somebody asks me, um, give me Jimmy Buffett in one song. This is the song I would recommend. Yeah, I would as well. If you don't like this song, then you probably shouldn't. Now, now of course, you've already mentioned a lot of reflective, um, reverent songs that that are very very different than this. But overall, if you were going to yeah. put Jimmy Buffett in a nutshell, this is the song. Well, and what's great about one particular well, harbor. other than a margaritaville of course, well, of course yeah <laughs> well, but one particular harbor what's great about that song is that it incorporates very nearly everything that buffett that 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 was jimmy buffett, yeah, it, yeah you know? it's the kitchen sink yeah i mean it, everything is is there you have you have the upbeat but you also have the the slower more mm-hmm. uh, you know relaxed you know mellow caribbean you know right. flair of, of that mellow you know passing out in the hammock you know and but it's it's reflective and it's a story song and it's descriptive i mean you already named the three kind of modes that jimmy wrote yeah in. right they're all here yeah um and it is of all of jimmy Buffett's song it, songs it is without question for me probably the greatest guilty pleasure hmm. because when i know that that bridge is coming up 
I crank the volume. I don't even call it a guilty pleasure. It's just a good well, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not embarrassed to listen no, to I'm, it. No, I've never been embarrassed to Jimmy <laughs> Buffett, no. But my point is, it's, it's kind of like the drum break, you know, in, in, in the air tonight. Or, or yes, yes. You know, it's one of those things, I just, when I when know. When I think about the good times. When I think about the good times, the, the volume, the volume mm-hmm. goes up to 11, you know. And it's, it's just, I don't know, there's something so freeing about this song. It was it was written about Tahiti. Mm-hmm. It was the island of Tahiti that right, it was on. Right. Um, he was um, basically, um, oh, I'm trying to remember, he, I think that he was um, in the mountains above Cook's Bay mm-hmm. and he, he kind of looked down at the vista. Right. And the song, he said, just came to him, you know. Um, he was watching children play on the beach. Right, and, yeah. exactly. Where the children play in the sun each day. Yeah, and, the lyrics, I mean, here you have some of his best writing, too. You know, lakes below the mountain flow into the sea. Like oils applied to canvas, they permeate through me. I mean, it's it's so descriptive, and it's so... I I, I want to be on this island. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it is... This is the... This is the escape that Jimmy Buffett promises, yep. and yep. you know, someday I hope to find that one particular harbor. It's oh it, yeah, they, yeah. There's a whole other level too, oh, right? Yeah. It's like Margaritaville. It's it's a place that exists um, in your mind as much yeah, as a absolutely. physical location. And it, it is. I would say it's probably my number two. The only song I would place above one particular pirate. harbor is a pirate looks yeah, at forty. Figured, yeah. yeah, yeah. But one particular harbor. I mean, of of his collection. Yeah. No. No concert. No playlist. No mixtape. Buffett is not complete, you know, until Jimmy sings one particular harbor. Yep. So. And maybe it didn't make the cut because it's a longer song. And 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 if they oh. did have to fit as much content on the that greatest hits compilation, that's true too. Um, maybe that's why it didn't make it. True too. All right. Well, we finally uh, at the two hour mark. We made it. <laughs> oh my goodness. We made it to our. Uh, or we made it to my. No, uh, the listener made it. If you made it this far, well, props. Yeah. Um, I do not regret any of it. I really don't. Um, nonetheless, um, I've made it now to my last song of side A. Um, it is the song Trying to Reason with Hurricane Season uh, from the 1974 album A1A. And that's my, I, I've mentioned three songs already in my top five. That is a fourth. Yeah, this one's in my top five as well. Squalls out on the Gulf Stream Big storms coming soon I passed out in my hammock And got a slip to way past noon Stood up and tried to focus I hoped I wouldn't have to look far I knew I could use a bloody Mary Stumble next door to the bar And now I must confess I could use some rest I can't run at this pace very long Yes, it's quite insane I think it hurts my brain But it cleans Jimmy's ability to capture the essence of life's challenges and emotions, it's on full display on this track. The the lyrics reflect his personal experiences with hurricanes and the struggle to find solace in the face of destruction. Um, 
I don't know, in the, in the song Buffett, you know, he, he metaphorically compares the tumultuous nature of a hurricane to the chaotic storms of life, you know? And he paints this very vivid picture of the devastation caused by hurricanes, both physical and emotional. But the lyrics suggest that trying to reason with a hurricane is futile, you know? They're unpredictable, they're unstoppable forces of nature. And as a metaphor, the song emphasizes the futility of trying to make sense of chaotic and unpredictable situations. It, it, it suggests that attempting to find reasoning or understanding in the midst of chaos is an arduous task. And, and the theme, I think, it makes it personally meaningful to all listeners. We've all faced our own personal storms, and I believe that we've all searched for ways to cope when they happen. Um, but some of the imagery, and this song is so powerful, you know, it, it, the imagery is so just, I, I can see this clearly. It's like, yeah. he, it's like he dropped me into a, a photograph. That's what a great writer does. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you describe a song or even you know, a, a novel or a short story, and when you describe it to somebody else and you start adding details yeah. that don't actually exist in the original work, mm-hmm. what that's done is it's opened up your imagination and you filled in the blanks that aren't even there. And Buffett's really good at that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it squalls out on the Gulf Stream, big storm coming soon. I passed out in my hammock, and God, I slept till way past noon. Uh, got up and tried to focus. Up and tried to focus. Uh, yeah. I knew that I didn't. Wouldn't last wouldn't, long. Wouldn't last long, so I knew I could use a Bloody Mary, <laughs> and I stumbled. I, I stumbled away to the bar. Okay, I've been having too and many. now I must confess. Yeah, I've, I've had too many I margaritas because I have already butchered the lyrics. <laughs> but, so I can't run at this pace very long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a line that I think about a lot. Um, you know, there are certain lines of, of songs yeah. that you already mentioned that pop up in, when certain, certain things in your life are going on. I, um, I can't run at this pace very long. There are several times in my life where I was just overstressed and overworked, and that line just popped into my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, I don't, the song, you know, it touches on that universal theme of resilience and, and the human spirit's ability to endure life's, ha- life's hardships as well. And Buffett's lyrics, they convey a message of hope. That, that's, that's the thing about Jimmy Buffett, is that his songs are so positive. They're so optimistic. That does not mean that they aren't sometimes dark, you sure. know? But he is, he was an eternal optimist, you know? And he steered away from politics, too. He, he did, yeah. He never, I mean, he... He was an activist in his own right, yeah. but quietly. Yeah, I mean, th- he makes little jibes yeah, yeah, here yeah. and there, but... You know, he never revealed his leanings, and he never. If he anything, never, it was just against the kind of the establishment. Yeah, uh, which I mean, that goes both ways. You know, it's, it's remember not, Ted used to get angry when he would when he made the, that line in fruitcakes about spending too much on NASA. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and Ted was always offended. <laughs> he got by so that. angry. Yeah, that silly rocket ship just went and lost his cone-shaped head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I in this song, here's the thing: Buffett's lyrics convey a message of hope. You know, and it encourages I, the listener to, to find strength in the face of adversity. He, he emphasizes the importance on relying, of relying on internal resources and personal determination to weather life's storms. And despite the challenges depicted in the lyrics, there's an underlying sense of optimism that just, it just resonates. You know, it, this song is a lot like Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes to me. Um, and, and like that song, I've turned to Trying to Reason with Hurricane Season so many times over the years. It's, it's helped me during times of heartbreak, financial uncertainty, personal loss. This was the song that really helped me get past Doug's passing. Mm. 
Interesting. Uh, Doug, of course, was a Buffett fan as, as well, and um, I, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Actually, it's not like I made the connection, you know, to you know just adversity, you know, and, and put the song on uh, when when Doug. Remember the great picture we took of Buckeye Lake one of the years? Yes. It's you, Tad, Doug, and I. Yeah. We're in garbage bags garbage because garbage it was raining. Garbage bags because the rain, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was just going to mention that because, you know, I remember the song was playing. Doug, Doug had just passed. We, we received the note, notice of it. And this just happened to be on. I was listening to, to Buffett. In fact, it was, I'm sure it was the box set. I don't think I was playing A1A specifically. But this song came on, and as it was playing, and I was thinking of Doug, I went and I, I pulled pulled that picture and you know just looking at the picture listening to the song and it, it, it was cathartic it really was and um i don't know for that reason this song still every time i hear it makes me think of doug um not because of anything that happened you know when he was alive necessarily other than being a buffett fan but because of that that moment it, it was so i don't know it was so transcendent for we're me. so much alike because i had a song too Further on up the road by Bruce Springsteen. Oh yeah, that that's the one that got that helped me get through. Yeah, um, great song. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I just this one, I, I it made the list not only because I love this. I love this song. It is one of my top five. Like like we said, but this is in my mind still Doug's song. Yeah, and I don't know. It just felt if we we're going to make this a personally meaningful tribute to Jimmy and his legacy. You know, this this was a moment, and and that picture, that picture is something I treasure. I don't mm-hmm. remember who gave it to us. Yeah, somebody framed it and gave it to each other. I, th- I feel like it was Tad. Probably. I think it was Tad's yeah. gift for the holidays one year. You were the one that take, took all the photographs. I, yeah, I took the picture. And we were but, so annoyed at the time, but we're so glad that you did. Yeah, and uh, and Tad was the one that, that could that presented that. Yeah, in, in that way. And um, yeah, that picture is it's still one of my favorite photos, ever. And it, it just... I think we're, what, 20-something and well, maybe even younger than that, probably. It was... I can tell you what year it was. Um, it was Buckeye Lake. It one, was Buckeye Lake. Three or four years in a row we went down. and Yeah. So one year we didn't even make it into the show, I think, if we were having so much fun in the parking lot. We made it. We, were, Did we, we? just made it late. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we stumbled uh, into the, uh, the show. Um, yeah, that one was... Let's see. This, the thunderstorm, it, that would have been 95. The picture was taken in 95. I, I talk about Buckeye Lake on side B, but um, oh, I was gonna say, like, how do you know that? Yeah. Um, I, I so that it, you've seen the video, right? That did survive your your cousin. Do you remember your cousin found a, a VHS tape and oh, gave yeah. it to me to digitize? And part of it was from. I forgot about that. Or maybe I found. I forget who. No, maybe no, we friend, just showed it. No friend, friend. Oh, that was my my Siri decided <laughs> to wake up. Siri, I wasn't summoning you. Yeah, no, no. Fran gave me the tape, and I, I passed. I I forgot all about that. Did you ever digitize it? Yeah, I have it digitized. I can okay. send it to you. Yeah, I'd like um, to see it. Because it's it's great because we're in a parking lot and, and you know, if you've been to a Jimmy Buffett show, all the pairheads come out. Um, everybody's dressed um, in crazy, outrageous costumes. And everybody, it, it's like a little commune. Everybody just shares, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you walk by and someone's got, you know, tequila in a, in a squirt gun, squirting in your mouth. And people are barbecuing and they invite you over. And it's just, it, it, it's such a sense of community. And we were just clueless. If you watch the video, obviously we'd had a lot to drink. But there was this one section where we run into these girls. And I'm just going up to people. I'm just putting the camera in their face saying, hey, so how's your, how's your time? The budding journalist. I don't know right, why, yeah. but I, would just, I just like to get people. And, and, and these, these girls were, were clearly into us. 
Really? You can totally tell by the way that they're just responding, their body language, facial expressions, and we just go on to the next person to interview them. <laughs> We're totally clueless. Uh, not one of our <laughs> finer moments, huh? No. Um, yeah, no, I'd love to see it. I forgot all about that, yeah. that she gave me the tape to pass on to you. I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, send that to me, please. But uh, yeah, no, trying to reason with her again. It, it is one of the greats, and it just, it is so... And there, there are some songs by Jimmy that when they begin, it's it that just the music, the musicality transports you definitely to the Caribbean, and this is one of those because there's something about the instrumentation. It 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 to me it defines mm-hmm. the geography of you know especially Key West, and it's it's just oh, I never tire of this song. It reminds me of Doug, and it is. It has always been one of my favorites. So that is how I end side A. Well, I'm glad that you decided to, to choose that song when you did because the song that I've chosen for my last pick is right in, in line with that. Oh. So it's, it's perfect. Uh, I went with uh, uh, Tin Cup Chalice. my money side b of a1a is his best section of work side b of a if i had to pick one album side from jimmy buffett to listen to on a desert island the rest of my life it would be side b of a1a i uh it, yeah. it, it's 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 practically perfect it includes a pirate looks at 40 trying to reason with hurricane season uh, uh tin cup chalice nautical wheelers and migration yeah well, and it's a perfect set and and all of them are more, more mellow reflective with the exception of migration which is reflective but just a little more uptempo right um, A1A is named for the north-south roadway that connects the seaside towns of, of the Florida's east coast. I had an opportunity to drive part of it, um, and I actually stopped at one of those little coastal towns for a few beers at a quaint little beach bar. And, you know, I was familiar with the record at the time. I was probably listening to the record because I was on A1A, and that's probably what inspired me to pull over. I'm not even sure who I was with. But, um, yeah, just sitting there, sipping a beer, looking out at the ocean, um, just kind of taking it all in. Living a Buffett song, you know, for, for a little oh, yeah. bit. yeah. Um, just I, I love the way that this song champions the simple things in life. Um, it's it's a direct foil to the demands of modern society. So you have this basically the whole song is just about a guy that, that goes down to the beach and chills out and 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 reflects. And it, it's a song about really appreciating what you have. And it's the opposite of, of all of the riches that society says that we need to accumulate. Um, the image, and this is one of his best images, of, a, of this humble tin cup and, and feeling like it's a, a fancy chalice. Yeah. 
um, that whole expression of want what, what you have. That's the message of this song, that you don't need to have a bunch of riches to be content. Um, if you have, you have an ocean, you have a cup, and you have a bottle of wine, you're good to go. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times I've, in my times of, of going out to the coast, I, I just, you know, I, I like being with people, but I, there's also a very private, introverted side to me. And every year I have to ground myself. Every year I find time to go to the beach in the evening by myself, usually with, you know, some tunes, and look out at the ocean and just take stock of my life. And this song represents that for me. This is one of the songs I listen to when I'm doing that. And it just reminds me that you don't need the fancy stuff no, you don't. to be happy. Yeah, give me oysters and beer for dinner every day of the year, and I'd be fine. I, I, I love his story songs. I love his party anthems. But I just realized that of my 12 picks, uh, pretty much all of them at one were the descriptive, reflective yep. songs from his catalog. Yep. I'm More than half of mine are as well. No, it, it's just a great, great number. It's my happy place, right? Yep. This describes my happy place, um, just sitting by the ocean and listening to, to yep. music. Yep, and when you do it, I mean, you'll be chewing on a hucky, honey, honeysuckle honey vine. vine. Yeah, Getting high by the sea there. <laughs> uh, such a great song. And, and, and to me, and because it's, right, it's, it's um, the song directly, no, it's the last track on the record, but it's still on the same side as Trying to Reason with Hurricane Season. Right, yeah. And so that, that whole side just has that, same vibe, that same thematic thread that goes through it. Um, that's that kind of um, isolated beach, reflective, this is my life, where is it headed, kind of thing. Yep. Well, should we do another shot to, to celebrate the we end? We have of... a second part to, to do here. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All your, right. Your, your point? All right. <laughs> what, would, what would Jimmy, what would Jimmy do? do? Jimmy would have had several more or at least uh, uh, yeah he would have told us he had several more Jimmy right Jimmy may have passed out by now so <laughs> oh man we may have to switch over here to uh, to rum soon <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm down with rum as well alrighty we here we go remembering Cheers. the great Jimmy Buffett uh, well uh, anything else here before we um, give the listeners a break um trying to think uh we need to give a shout out to our sponsor jay callahan painting uh she does an incredible job um definitely look her up you can find her on facebook she is everything that you could want and need for your painting needs both inside and outside the home um please uh you know as always give us your feedback uh, we we always look for uh, suggestions and then you know we love the conversation we we would really appreciate a review if you've never given us one before it's been a while since we've gotten a descriptive review yeah it has and, and we really appreciate those yeah um but no I, I i hope you stayed with us for this entire uh side a episode i i don't know how many buffett fans we have among our listeners but uh if if you don't know the man hopefully the music that we are introducing to you on this episode is has struck a chord. Well, social media is any indication. I got some good response on. We did. Yeah. There's nothing like dropping an advertisement for an episode we hadn't yet created. <laughs> it's like there's no pressure there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we did actually. In fact, um, I mean, several people shared it right away. So. Yeah, they did. So, uh, 
Kind of right. love Jimmy. All right. Well, we're going to take a break here, and uh, you know, we're just going to keep going through. So the next episode uh, may be really interesting as we continue to partake in, in adult spirits. But that's all for this time. Hot Funk, Cool Punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits in two weeks. All right. I screwed this up when I'm not drinking, yeah. so I'm going to try my best. I right? always read it, so I don't screw I know. Up. You write it down. I'm not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, press pause, lift the needle. And hit eject, and we will see you after we fill the blender with uh, a refill here. So, yes, on the, fl- on the flip on side. On the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified. Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slide